Well, 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 folks. This is going to be a good, good time. I just want to make sure that everybody can hear me because on the last time, we had like 40 seconds where I'm moving my mouth and nobody could hear a lick of what I was saying. So if you guys can all just give me thumbs up that you could hear us, that would be great. <laughs> Patrick could hear us. I know Carl could hear us, which is always a good thing when our guests could hear us. So folks, just uh, thumbs up if you guys could hear us. We are excited to be here. Gentlemen, thank you, thank you, thank you for coming on. Thank you both. This is great. This is great. This is an epic, this is going to be an epic broadcast because I don't think Carl and I have been together for more than maybe 30 minutes in five years. Yeah. That is so this is good. This we is, have so much to catch up on. This is gonna be real good. Real good. So um I'll tell you what. Uh, let me do some, let me intro the websites. So that way, if folks want to know, they're in the description below. If you guys want to get a hold of their websites, and I'm telling you, chock full of amazing stuff. So we'll go, we'll do rounds of intros first, and then we will uh, dive in. And of course, as usual, you know, every time I switch a platform, and maybe this is just the Lord telling me you got to stop switching platforms here. Um, but anyways, the websites, here we go. So Serpents and Dove site. Uh, if you guys want to sign up for the video newsletter, you could do so. Just put your email there, click send, and I will get that. And if you guys enjoy the content that you're seeing and you want to come alongside the ministry and help support it, it helps out a lot. You could just click right there on the donate page, and those are ways to do it. All of the content is held right here in the offhand page. And let me tell you guys, we got a wonderful new... Um, uh, so my brother, a good brother in Christ now has come alongside and he is starting to write for the blog and he has just put some of the greatest stuff up there. They're short, but they're really biblically based and centered and they just, they, they hit home. So I would encourage everybody to go check out Ron's, um, Ron's blog posts. All right, Patrick, we are on your site, and it's great. There's stuff I'd like to talk about on there, technocracy.news. It's, uh, it's an amazing site. Tell us a bit about it. Well, I started it, gosh, years ago. I, can't, I think it's eight years old now. Uh, it's amazing. I know. And now I've got, uh, I think, just coming up on the 6,000 um, article level at this point. 6,000 articles over the, all these years. Fully indexed, fully categorized by and large, and it's a researcher's goldmine, honestly, at this point. Yeah, it is. Not many, re not many researchers left in the world, but it is. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, I put up, I just put up three stories a day. That's all I put up. I curate the best stories that, that typify technocracy or transhumanism. Those are the only ones I post. I, I could post probably dozens every day, but that's not the point. I don't want to make people drink out of a fire hose. So, yeah. you know, I just give them what they can take. I give three, three good stories every day. That make the point, okay, pay attention. This is technocracy. This is transhumanism. Yeah, absolutely. Watch it in action. And you know what? Tell us real quick, you also have a new book out. Oh, yes, I do. The Evil Twins of Technocracy and Transhumanism. Uh, what can I say? It is uh, the title pretty much says it, but don't just read the title and think you read the book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm sure there's I'm sure there's a lot to it, right? I'm sure there's a whole this lot is, more. This is my this is my third book on technocracy. And this one I wrote specifically to those people just kind of coming out of the fog. Uh, maybe they hadn't heard anything about either one. Okay. And I wanted to, I wanted to make it a little bit simpler. I wanted to really communicate with people and connect with people that weren't familiar with the territory we speak in. You know, Carl and I talk about stuff, I'm sure, even if it's just for a few minutes here and there, 
We know all this stuff. We've been, you know, we've been studying this stuff for years. So we have a conversation on a different level. Yeah. But people just coming out, they go, what are they talking about? Yeah. <laughs> I can't understand. I don't even understand the terminology. People need to have, uh, well, I remember years ago, I, I well, I got to back up. Southern California, okay. Yep. There was a, a great author, uh, a researcher by the name of, um, Oh my gosh, I am the kingdom of the cults. Give me a Oh yeah, a Walter Martin. Walter yeah. Martin. Yeah. Walter Martin used to say repeatedly, you've got to get the hay down out of the loft where yep. the cows can get at it. That was <laughs> that impressed me. I remember that. I I heard that so many times. I it really stuck with me. Yeah. Got to get the hay down out of the loft where the cows can get at it. That's what that's what I try to do with this book. Yeah. And you know what? I'll I'll be honest with you. I want to cover uh the fact and and we'll we'll get to your book because I think there's some there's some aspects of technocracy that unfortunately what you said right there is so much information being thrown at us on a daily basis I, I love the analogy you gave trying to drink out of a fire hose is impossible it's impossible and to be able to break that down in nuggets that we can actually understand and bring back and go okay I totally get it you know I see how they're using this movement because there is gentlemen and we'll get to yours, Carl, but there is an end goal to this whole movement of technocracy and transhumanism and artificial intelligence. Am I correct? So either one of you guys, I don't yeah. know. We'll, we'll, we'll cover that. So, so keep that in the back of your minds. Yeah. Carl, what are your thoughts on that? There, there is an end goal, right? Of course there's an end goal. Uh, there always is an end goal. Yeah. Uh, and, and I look at the end goal as, as, being uh, the equivalent to or a parallel to the first goal. And the first goal was to, uh, from a biblical point of view, to trick mankind, to deceive mankind, to offer up in the garden this false promise that we could be as God. Yeah. And then I see in Second Thessalonians an end goal where you know, the, the father of uh, uh, you know, the lawless one, uh, the, the the one who at the end of the days comes forward, uh, he promises the same thing, that he yeah. sets himself up on the throne as God. That's right. So I, honestly, when, when you take a look at, 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 it doesn't really matter if it's transhumanism or if it's technocracy or some variant of socialism or, or the New Age movement. All of these, all of these different ideologies and patterns and, and, and pseudo-religions and, and, and alternative religions all of them are all saying essentially the same thing. Uh, by some method, by some mechanism, you, we can become as God or God-like. Yeah. It is repeat of that lie. And so I look at, I look at the end of the age from a biblical point of view as having a reflection of that first lie. The end lie is the same as the first lie, because that is the heartbeat of our of our deception, yeah. and that hasn't changed. And so I, I don't see it being that radically different. It's just going to have new trappings, uh, maybe mechanisms, uh, and and uh, the ability to pull over the you know the, the 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 wool over our eyes maybe in new ways. Yeah. But it remains it remains essentially that same thing. Ultimately, we want to be our own Messiah. Yeah, th line. that's so true. What's your take, Patrick, on this? Yes. Well, I, I'm just reminded of Ecclesiastes. It says there's nothing new under the sun. Yeah. Yep. There really isn't. And, you know, in order to understand what's going on today, you kind of, it helps. Not, it's not impossible otherwise, but I mean, it really helps to have the whole 
uh, broad picture from Genesis to Revelation, it's very hard to pick out pieces in the middle. It'd be kind of like reading the middle of a chapter or in the middle of a book, you know, picking out, well, I want to read chapter five. Yeah. And you hop right into the book. Well, you'll maybe get something out of it, but you may get the completely wrong thing too. Yeah. You need to start with chapter one and read through the whole book. And then you, oh, I don't know. Now I see what the author's trying to say. And <clears throat> going back to the beginning, uh, the, the, you know, the first lie had to do with knowledge and it had to do with, did God really say? Yep, that's and true. This is the same structure. This is the same construct we're working with today. It's just more sophisticated, perhaps. And, and you wonder how many, how many times can somebody be tricked by the same trick? You know, like a magician. I, I heard a magician one time, went to a show, actually paid money to get their cover charge. That's one before <laughs> I was saved, I think. And I heard this guy. And okay, he did a trick. And then uh, I'm not going to fool me with that one again. <laughs> but today, it's like people get tricked one year. Yeah. The next year, and they say, Oh, I see it now. I'll never go back to that. The next year, they get tricked again. Yeah. Over and over and over. This is one reason, I think, why the why the Bible calls us sheep. Yeah. Sheep are incredibly naive and dumb, frankly. <laughs> they are. I mean, you you go to a circus, you've never ever seen a trick sheep. Yeah. They don't exist. Yeah, that's true. Everything that's true. else can be trained to do tricks, but not sheep. Yeah, they follow good, <laughs> right? <laughs> They follow. They good. follow good. Yeah. That's right. They yep. follow. They follow the goat or the whatever the shepherd. But you know, people are have been repeatedly tricked over and over and over again. And this this really needs to stop. Of course, this this may be the way it is till the end. But this is a very serious condition today. Yeah, I agree. Let me read something that I think would probably encapsulate uh, what we're talking about. And this is in regards to the first seal. Revelation six says, "Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals." And I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice, like thunder, come and see. And I looked and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him. And this is the part that I want to just kind of make sure that will underlie this entire conversation. And he went out conquering and to conquer. And if, if I can just set things up, we'll go back and intro Carl's website. And then, uh, Carl, I'm going to give the floor to you. Um, this whole notion is, I believe, is going to usher in a technology, a movement that will that the Antichrist will utilize as a means to control, and we're seeing that right now from the elite level. Carl, let me hear your take on that first, and then we'll go back, and that would be a good segue to show people your website and talk about your book as well. Sure, sure. I, I think... No, let me rephrase. I, I hate using that word. I, I keep saying this. I think, I think. Uh, we know. Yes. We know that the bottom line is control. Yeah. The bottom line is how do we control the masses? How do we control the direction of culture, society, politics? The list goes on. Um, and, and so when it comes to technology, technology, as we have seen repeatedly, 
technology is both a gift, but it is also a tool or a weapon that can be used uh, to mow down those who, who hold dissenting views, those who have opinions and positions that are, are in opposition to the narrative of the day, and it, it can very easily be used as a system or a technique of control. And so I, 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 this is one of those danger points that I see with, with burgeoning technologies, especially with artificial intelligence, um, especially with central bank digital currencies. And in my country right now, we're talking about a digital health, uh, uh, like a digital health passport of sorts where all of our ID uh, and our health information and our uh, our information is all going to be wrapped up within within a digital system, and I'm like, no, 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 no. You know, the lesson, one of the big lessons that we learned from COVID, especially in my country, is is how quickly we can use digital tools to cancel you or to control you if you do right. not comply. If you don't, if you don't comply, we will force, we will, we will coerce compliance. And so, whenever I see, you know, whenever, whenever we have these kinds of, of conversations. Where are we going? And, and can this be used against us? Can, can uh, you know, the, the last world leader, the Antichrist, the, the one who sets himself up, can he use this or will he use this? I believe he'll use every tool under the, you know, at his disposal. Right. That's what we do. That's what we do. So it only, in my mind, makes logical sense that technology will be a tool that, that will be used to control the masses. It always has been. Yeah. A powerful, powerful way of shaping and controlling the behavior of of individuals and groups. Yeah, yeah, not, that's not going to stop. No, now for are sure. we going to be are we going to be aware of that? Can we see it? Can we look to circumvent uh, as as day by day we move towards some conclusion to the to the you know to the to the run of history? Um, yeah, so that's 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 a bigger question. How do we how do we navigate? And so so why don't we start with that? And we'll go with you first, Carl, and then Patrick will get your take on that because I believe there is um we have those we have the believer, right? Those that are spiritually alive in Christ. And then you have those that are dead in Christ. Those that are not maybe not fully aware of of what the ramifications are of what this really means ultimately. So let's talk about that um, when when after we intro your website and talk about your book a bit. But we can just we can just springboard off of that and then just get going. So I want folks to be able to get a hold of your website as well. It, it you have two, I believe. This one is Game of Gods, and the link is below in the description. Tell us about this website. Tell us, uh, tell folks about Game of Gods. But before you do that, why don't you give us a little bit about yourself and what what you do? Yeah, you're laughing. <laughs> I, well, you guys need to you guys need to see Carl. He's laughing. So that'll take what about how long will that take? <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll do it in in only a handful of words because Pat knows where this will go because uh, the two of us have done this have done this together. I'm a troublemaker. It's all good. Go for it. That's what, that's what I am. No, I'm a troublemaker. <laughs> uh, seriously, though, uh, and, and that's actually not inaccurate. Uh, I have I've been labeled that by opponents and by friends. So hey, that's okay, I guess. Um, my 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 job, so to speak, has been to be the guy behind the scenes doing research on these meta movements, 
for coming on close to 30 years, uh, full time since 1997. I was the director of research for Gary Cause Ministry from 97 to 2001. Um, I've, I've written quite a bit of material, uh, but my real, my real joy, so to speak, if you could call it that, is to be able to dig through history, to dig through uh, the context that sets in motion today's movements and today's realities, and then to be able to springboard and help guys like Pat Wood uh, and others, and and work through the research, work through the material, try to you know get a grasp, get a handle on on what's transpiring. So over the years, I've been to a pile of events. I've, I've kind of made it a specialty of sorts that when I have the opportunity to go to events that are game changing, be they in the sphere of global governance. Uh, or uh, in, the, in the realm of interfaithism, attending the Parliament of World Religions, uh, or going to, to cultural events like Burning Man, or even events that are taking shape that demonstrate the, the movement towards paganism, attending Wiccan and witchcraft uh, gatherings. You know, that's, that's what I've done. And then I write um, papers and, and articles. And of course, my book, Game of Gods, is kind of a culmination of two decades plus of that history and that research gelled into one into one package, uh, and and to be fair, it's not the, the the hay isn't at the bottom of the barn on that one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes you need to have a grounding or 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 a, a a foundation that may be a little more complex, yeah, and then be able to springboard off of that. Uh, so that you can always return to it and say, hey, here's a documentation. Here's, here are the nuanced arguments around some of these topics. Um, so that's, that's kind of what I do, which is an odd job description. Okay, so um, going back to your book right here, um, people can get this if they want to, and I highly recommend it, just like I recommend all of Patrick's uh, materials they can get this on Amazon. Um, it's on your website right there, the link. They can click on that and get it. Uh, you have another website as well. Uh, am I correct? What is the name of that website so folks can go to that one as well if they want to? Right, right. The other one is called forcingchange.org. Uh, for nine years, I uh, edited and produced an online monthly intelligence style magazine and so what forcingchange.org now is just simply a repository of of those publications specialized reports and articles that kind of fit within uh that theme of forcing change in other words what are those political intellectual religious cultural forces of change yeah and so the site is free you just sign in and access you know, have you have access to to literally all of the back backlog of material that's that's there? I don't put a lot of new content on the site, but there's a lot of material nonetheless, and and so I would, I would definitely recommend uh, people go and, and avail themselves of that resource, cool. just as folks need to go to Technocracy News. I mean, yeah, Pat Pat created literally the the world's leading bulldozer that just kind of pushes <laughs> through all of the noise and. And the garbage that's out there and and continuously has yeah. been putting content out, which is incredible. Yeah, absolutely. So with that said, um, you know, there are a million places that we could start. But uh, first, let me let me turn this over to you, Carl, because we're going to start with you. And then. 
Pat, if we could uh, get how this ties in to technocracy, because there's definitely a tie in between the transhumanist movement and, you know, the technocrats, as I like to call them. And uh, we just saw an image of them right there, Klaus Schwab. We've got Yuval Noah Harari, and there's there's multiple others. But talk to us a bit, uh, Carl, first of all, uh, if you don't mind, so people can understand where this movement uh, began. And I, I think we can go all the way back to Babel. I understand that. We could go all the way there. But in the in the recent past, where has transhumanism really taken traction? And then when you're done, Pat, I want you to give your take on how the 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 technocrats, how technocracy is availing itself and how they're joining together forces to make this, in their estimation, a reality or using it towards their end goal. So why don't you take us away, Carl? Sure. Uh, an easy way of describing transhumanism is that it is the intentional use of technology and science to attempt to redirect the course of human evolution. And that would be probably a blanket definition that you would find from within the transhumanist movement. It is their belief that through our science and our technology, we can recast and reshape what it means to be man. Right. We take evolution in hand, and now we refashion it in our own image. In terms of its history, um, and yes, Pablo, you're absolutely right. You can go all the way back to the Tower of Babel. Uh, you can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Where, where the promise is, if you transcend uh, God's law, you will transform into something else. Now, we're doing the same thing, but in a different kind of way. It's more nuanced. We will transcend what it means to be human, and therefore transform into something else. Correct. It's not that, not that different, per se. Where you see it coming into, into uh, its own in terms of an intellectual movement, it, it really has is, is something that's kind of been developing in a significant way in the last 20 years or so. You can go back earlier than that. You can go back to uh, uh, Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, the Catholic mystic who in the 1950s was writing about the ultra-human, this uh, scientific spiritual merger that would allow the earth to all of a sudden become sublimely intelligent and that we would all become ultra-humans. Uh, one of the first uh, uses. It wasn't the first, but one of the, the uses of the term transhuman that really kind of got the, you know, uh, how do I say this? It set, it set the stage in motion to, to create a, a, a language that demonstrates this idea of this human evolution. And that's, that's Huxley's work back in the 1950s and with his book, New Wine for Old Wineskins. I think that's what Julian, called, Julian Huxley, copy, right? Julian Huxley. Right, right. Yeah. And, and mm -hmm. so, he, he said, hey, look, what we need is a, is a new religion uh, that demonstrates a humanist advancement uh, and to become more than what man is. Maybe we can call that religion transhumanism. And when enough of us say that we are transhumanists, we can maybe begin to, to go beyond what it means to be human. Yeah. You, you can go past that all the way back into the 
uh, late 1800s uh, to Fedorov and the Cosmist movement in Russia, which, uh, which really ended up kind of being the, the springboard, the intellectual springboard, even for the, the cosmonaut uh, space program during the Soviet Union. And this idea that maybe in the future we can resurrect everybody using some type of, of quantum system, uh, merging spirituality and, and, and technology together. And cosmism still is a, a significant intellectual um, thrust within the transhumanist movement. I've got a copy right here of the Cosmos Manifesto. Um, that, that Those ideas are still in play. So bringing us forward, the last 20 years, especially transhumanism has really taken off as an intellectual um, kind of umbrella. And it is the unofficial religion, you could say, of Silicon Valley. Yeah. Uh, because it is there that science and technology all of a sudden is, is wrapped around ideology and, and what, what human futures can look like. Um, I mean, my goodness, I go, I, as, as you know, as Pat knows, I go to Burning Man. And I yep. went three years in a row. Um, and not that long ago, just a couple of weeks ago, I participated in a virtual Burning Man event. But in 2018, the, the theme for that year's Burning Man event was uh, iRobot. Of course, if you're an Asimov science fiction yep, fan, yep. you know exactly the reference. Yeah. Um, but the theme that year was asking this big question, can man and machine merge? Can we, can we find a place where our, our technology and our biology come together? Can we become more than human? And so some of the workshops that I was attending uh, was, was, you know, it was dealing on, on that very heady, very big topic, uh, including parallel topics that go with it, like blockchain and artificial intelligence and uh, the role of information technology. So, yeah. I mean, it lands us right to today, but the bottom line is it is an ideology. It's, it's a... A, and if it doesn't have a single institution that oversees it, um, back in 2013, I was at the Global Future 2045 Congress in, in New York City. And one of the purposes for that transhumanist event, which, my goodness, it was like the rock show of transhumanists. Everybody was there from Ray Kurzweil to Martin Rothblatt and uh, people from MIT and from Oxford. But one of the big thrusts of that event was, can we draft a letter? And a letter was drafted that would go to the United Nations, asking the United Nations that it would take on the role of being kind of the global gatekeeper for the transhumanist movie, uh, movement. Can we put all this under one umbrella? And that hasn't happened yet, yet. Yeah. But, but you know, but that, that, that pressure is there. So it's not that there's a single entity that oversees it all. It's a loose affiliation in many respects of combination of, of Silicon Valley. Saviors. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, that's right. Institutions uh, and, and think tanks that uh, that's, are, are absolutely very interested in the topic. And probably the biggest, <laughs> the biggest funder and the biggest player in the scene is the one that nobody talks about. And that's the U.S. Department of U.S military is that darpa yes and it's, it's not just darpa i mean if we're honest about it it's it's the militaries of most leading industrial countries okay uh, are, are playing with technologies that definitely fit this, this i agree idea. i totally agree so with that it's a perfect segue the marriage between science and technology so i'm going to hand this over to you pat 
if you don't mind talking about that, you know, that connection between science, because there is, there is this religion, like you mentioned, Carl, between Silicon Valley, it's this new religion of, hey, we can be gods, just very much like the title of your book, Game of Gods, right? Um, and so there is definitely a tie-in between tech and science. So Pat, why don't you talk to us about technocracy, what exactly technocracy is, and then the tie-in between what Carl just talked about, um, the notion of transhumanism, religion, and how that ties in with technology and how they're using that to their advantage. Yeah, yeah. The, um, the original technocracy movement was crystallized in 1932 at Columbia University. Uh, it, it had been active. People had been talking about it before that during the 20s, but it really crystallized at Columbia University. And scientists and engineers, uh, mostly from Columbia, not exclusively, but mostly, um, felt that since capitalism was going to die, they, they were sure of that. It was a Great Depression. They were sure capitalism was a goner. They decided that they could write a better economic system that would replace, you know, come back in the place of capitalism and free market economics. And they called it technocracy. Um, it was a very odd uh, ideology or odd system in the sense that they wanted to completely remove the political layer of society. They felt that they were so good with their science, with their, their scientific method, uh, so mechanistic, I might add, too. We'll talk about that. Carl can elucidate on what mechanistic philosophy is. It's very dangerous. But they believed that, um, that they had the answers for mankind. And they created this resource-based economic system called technocracy. Now it's called sustainable development. But the idea was that they would control all the resources of society and dole out those resources to the people as they saw fit, according to efficiency, according to the need and that sort of thing. And they, they proposed an energy script to replace money, what we know as money, currency. Mm -hmm. They believed that energy was the only way to control an, an economic system. And I have to confess, they were right about that. <laughs> they yep. got it absolutely right. Energy is required for all economic activity. I don't care, getting out of bed requires energy right yeah. so uh factories run on energy cars run on energy uh everything does even a bicycle is your energy but you get somewhere because of energy if you add energy to an economic system it will flourish uh, in activity if you withdraw energy it will just wilt and perhaps even die uh, so that was their idea was to control everything by energy and this energy script was going to buy goods and products uh, services based on how much energy it took to make those goods and products, which is kind of crazy. Theoretically, you could probably calculate that, but they felt they could. Uh, th these people were visionaries. I want to stress that. In the, in the, at Columbia University, the way it was back then, there was only one building. It was called Hamilton Hall, and then they had a basement, full footprint basement. And the technocracy movement was given half of that basement space to do their their studies and stuff. They're doing a hyd hydrological study of the United States or North America at the time. But um, <clears throat> they had all this space. They had volunteers come in and they'd, they'd work there. And then the, the big mucky muck scientists and engineers would be down there too. The other half of Hamilton Hall, however, was occupied by the early iteration of IBM. That's where yeah. they created the, the Hollerith tabulator. Yep. That, uh, that then soon thereafter, mysteriously migrated to nazi germany that's right uh, that's another story we'll get Edwin to that Black explained we'll, we'll that get very to that. well in yeah. multiple books but um these people were rubbing shoulders with the people that uh you know the computer uh nerds of that day these were visionaries truly visionaries of their day 
they saw forward where technology was going, just like some people see forward where AI is going today. These people saw the, I think, the whole spectrum of the of the balance of the century, what technology was going to do, uh, how it was going to, you know, expand their the control that they wanted to to gain over people. So, you know, it was um, the only reason I, I really I bring up IBM, I guess, is just just to indicate that this brain trust that was created back then was not accidental. It wasn't just a bunch of fruitcakes getting together and nutcase getting together <laughs> in, a, in a basement somewhere in the cafeteria, writing up this, this thing. These people were deadly serious and they knew pretty much exactly what they were talking about. And they popped out a book um, after the original technocracy movement got kicked out of Columbia. I won't explain why right now, but they got booted and uh, the, the two founders started a, um, a, a corporation that became a membership corporation called Technocracy Inc. They wrote the Bible of technocracy. It was called the Technocracy Study Course. It's very mm -hmm. original. Uh, <laughs> that was their Bible. And uh, it's, it's on the internet. People can, can download it. It's been scanned and stuff. Go out and get it and look at it, read it. It'll pop your eyeballs out, I tell you. Yeah. But this, is, this became kind of the, the marching orders, I think, ever since. A lot of people read that. A lot of other scientists and engineers read it and picked up on it. And um, so all said, the original technocracy movement had no other backing behind them. They, after they left Columbia, they were dropped like a hot potato. Uh, there was no Carnegie uh, in, you know, institution behind them. There's no Rockefeller money. They got nothing. They, they had to have a membership organization where poor people paid whatever, you know, five bucks a month or a buck a month to join. And um, by the end, nevertheless, it was a big operation. They had over 600,000 card-carrying, dues-paying members in North America. California, Washington, and Oregon were absolutely saturated with technocrats. Canada was too, mm -hmm. as Carl found out. There's a huge movement in Canada, very popular uh, with people up there. Um, so at the, by the end of World War II ramped up, technocracy fizzled as capitalism came back. And people in America rejected technocracy as being really crazy, really nutcakey. They knew it would be a society destroyer, especially when you consider they wanted to get rid of all the politicians and all the political structure. They didn't want the Senate. They didn't want Congress. Everybody that's elected, go home, shut up, You know, mind your own business. We'll take care of things. Yeah. It's the same attitude today that these technocrats have. Yeah. So during when you, when you fast forward the whole thing, I'll skip over the early 70s with the foundation of modern globalization with the Trilateral Commission for a moment. When you... Flip forward to around 1990, where the doctrine of sustainable development was really, really starting to catch fire around the world. Uh, it had a run from 1992 when it was created to, to the year 2000. Uh, and everybody, most people kind of scoffed at it initially. Ah, those do-gooders, you know, of the United Nations, they don't know what they're talking about. But by the year 2000, it was getting really serious. Yeah, And that was where technology, modern technology, the scientific uh, the, the scientific revolution, that's where it really took off. It really gained that, um, that progression that just exploded. And where things used to take maybe 20 years to, to happen, now it took two years or a year. It just was amazing. That's where the transhuman movement stood in, stepped in and got excited, in my opinion. Before that, it had been mostly a philosophical, you know, we hope, we hope, we hope, hopium. Yeah. That we that we're going to do this, and they were, it was all based on the original lie. Surely you won't die. Yeah. <laughs> Surely you won't die. 
And, you know, so they, they talked about that and, uh, but they had no, they had no tools to get there. They, they just talk about it and hoping maybe someday something can happen. Well, in the year 2000, there was enough steam behind the technology movement that they jumped in with both feet and adopted the whole system of that the technocrats had created. They, they adopted that whole system as their own because now all of a sudden their, uh, their goals were the same as the technocrat goals. And they used the same scientific base to do it. And as I look back to the last century, if there was one thing underlying both of them, you say, well, how could they get together? You know, birds of a feather sort of thing. How yeah. could they get together? They seem so different on one hand One's concerned with society, one's concerned with the human condition, you know, how does that fit and all that. But if you go back to the last century, and you study the subject of scientism in particular, you'll find a strong scientism uh, bias in everything these people do. And scientism isn't known very much in this century. It should be because there's enough literature in the, old, in the last century that nailed scientism to the wall and exposed it for what it was, that it was it would be a destroyer of mankind, not a salvation of mankind. People like F.A. Hayek wrote essays and, and books on it. You, you had C.S. Lewis wrote forcefully against scientism, and there were many others of that era too. Legitimate, I mean, you know, legitimate commentators, authors, and so on, researchers wrote these books and exposed what scientism was. Well, this is, it's... <laughs> baby it's back <laughs> that's, that's all i can say it's back yeah. now the one thing about scientism carl may agree or not agree i don't know i've kind of come to this conclusion independently one thing about scientism is it has the ability to trick its followers into thinking that they don't follow scientism <laughs> so if you ask any of these technocrats or transhumans oh you're into scientism aren't you they'll say what, <laughs> what are you talking about yeah no scientism here but if you go back and read what scientism is and then observe the behavior of these people, say, come on, guys, you know, you don't know what you're doing, but right. you're you're following scientism essentially, where science has been set up as God. Yep. That's the whole thing. Yeah. Science becomes God. God, God is out. Yep. The Bible is out. Science is in, and scientism believes the only possible way to discover truth is through is through science. Ethics, forget it. Moral studies, forget it. Plato, forget him. He's really out there. The Bible <laughs> has no use for these people. They discard it first thing. Um, so science is their arbiter of everything. This is the mechanic, me mechanistic nature of, 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 the, of both of these. They feel the more they can study something, the more they can study it, the more they can understand how to manipulate it. Yeah. And this is what drives them and what you know, C.S. Lewis wrote a book, a very small book. It was called The Abolition of Man. It made a point. Half the book was just kind of introductory, but it made a, it made a point is the more you study nature, dig down into it, even to a molecular level or even to the DNA level, the more you study nature, the more nature conquers you. <laughs> it's a paradox. Yeah. And in the end of it, he says, where, where this is going, if, if, if man continues to examine and dig down into nature with the intent of controlling it, they're not going to control nature. Nature is going to end up controlling them, yeah. which will result in the abolition of man. Yeah. 
that's profound and very few people understand that i see carl shaking his head i know he's he's read i'm sure he's read the book more than once over the years but this is the this is the crazy ideology behind both technocracy and transhumanism today they're on the same they're absolutely on the same card and i don't know if carl brought up the name of max moore yet i'm going to invoke his name go for it uh, most people view him as kind of being the founder of modern transhumanism today he didn't really come up with it, but I mean, he was a he has a degree or PhD in philosophy, so he's um, you know he can express himself pretty well. And here's what he wrote: I think this was I want to say 1992, maybe uh, 94, 92, uh, before science kicked in. And but here's what he said: um, transhuman. This is his words: transhumanism promotes an interdisciplinary approach. Uh, to understand, understanding and evaluating the opportunities for enhancing the human condition and the human organism opened up by the advancement of technology. Attention is given to both present technologies like genetic engineering and information technology and anticipated future ones from his point of view, future, right? Such as molecular nanotechnology and artificial intelligence. Uh, that, that was his um, you know, official kickoff, whatever. Yeah. Uh, you, you can see... <laughs> you can see the anticipated science coming in and you know this is kind of what transhumanists you know if you, if you say they have a creed this is very close to the center of it you know what they're thinking so the science and technology is going to bail them out they had previously not been successful yeah <laughs> but now science and technology man baby it's gonna it's gonna be good it's gonna really bail us out now the world economic forum jumps into it and they're not only promoting technocracy, they're promoting transhumanism in a huge way. Yeah. The World Economic Forum recently wrote, to date, areas to improve on include natural aging, uh, as well as physical, intellectual, and psychological capacities. Some distinguished scientists, such as Hans Moravec and Raymond Kurzweil, even advocate a post-human condition, colon, yep. and here it is, yep. the end of humanity's reliance on our congenital bodies by transforming our frail version 1.0 human bodies into their far more durable and capable version 2.0 counterparts. Yep. I, the, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. okay, guys, humans 2.0, here we come. Yeah. I remember, I think back to the days of Windows, you might not, I don't know where you oh, are. Oh, no, I remember Windows. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I remember it for sure. <laughs> When Windows 2 came out, it was the biggest bar that anybody ever had. The whole world rebelled. <laughs> then Windows 3 came out. It was marginally better, but then the, the blue screen of death appeared. Oh, yeah. Big time. Yep, I remember <laughs> that. Writing a big, you'd be writing an article, and all of a sudden, bloop, yep. blue screen of death came up. Oh, yeah. And all your work was lost. Oh, people, a lot of people had a heart attack over that. <laughs> I remember this that. Is, you know, yep. I think of this when I think, oh, it's humans 2.0. <laughs> No, this is going to be really good. Yeah. Blue screen of death, right? Blue, blue screen, screen of death. Of death. <laughs> By the way, yeah, speaking of blue screen of death, it's just pretty amazing about how all these people these days are just falling over dead in the, in the street or on the field and, yeah. you know, playing soccer, football. Yeah, blue screen of death. It's like they don't even grab their chest to, oh, my heart hurts, you know, yeah. like people do with a heart attack. Yeah. They're just walking along and they face plant. Yeah. I've never seen this in my life. Yeah, there's ever. there's a lot of things, trust me, that we're going to see that we've never <laughs> seen in our entire lives, for sure. Now, look, uh, there is so much to transhumanism and technocracy. Now, you mentioned posthumanism. The term transhumanism, posthumanism, those could be used. Are they interchangeable terms? 
Or are they two separate things? So, Carl, talk to us because some might hear post-humanism, some might hear transhumanism, and they automatically think, well, it's the same exact thing. Talk to us about the differences between those two. Transhumanism is the stepping stone to post-humanism. So in order to transcend humanity, to become more than human, requires that we engage in that intermediate stage, in that intermediate step. That's what transhuman is. Transhumanism is that movement towards becoming what would be called post-human, however that's envisioned. Uh, so one is, one, you know, he, there's a connecting point, but they are two separate, um, two separate definitions, two separate, two separate points uh, converging on on what they believe to be the same road, and and that goal being uh, transcending death, transcending human limitations, becoming more than human, taking that final, you know, making that final leap to something other than being human. Sure. Uh, you know, and and Pat, when you, when you brought up. Uh, Max Moore, um, I don't know if you had the if you knew I had the opportunity of spending a little bit of time with Max. Uh, yeah, you told me. Yeah, yeah I, I I did some interviews with him at the 2045 Congress, and yeah. uh, I'd also been with him um, at the 2010 Mormon uh, Transhumanist Association meeting. I, I also had the opportunity of interviewing his wife uh, Natasha, who's a really interesting individual. I, I, I appreciated spending time with her. She was she was very dynamic and very uh, very energized in in the aesthetics of what transhumanism may look like, what what our 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 new existence might entail. But this is what she said, and I've I've documented it in my book. Um, in one of my interviews with her, because she was speculating on what a post-terminal existence would look like, okay? A post-terminal. Death, now this is, these are her words, death not, pardon me, death ought not to just have one express definition. We'll be redefining death the more and more we develop the sciences and technologies to intervene with death. So we have to look at death from various perspectives. We may want vacation death. You may want partial death. You may want to be put in cryonic suspension or another type of preservation unit and then come back and revisit life again. So there are all sorts of alternatives to this finality of death. So transhumanism gives you a trans-death option. It also gives you a trans-religion option. Uh, and the terrorism movement is a trans-religion that, that uh, moves out not, not just simply from a religious point of view, but takes in secularism and then projects it through te technology and the uploading of your memories, creating memory files that eventually can be used to, to create a double of yourself after you pass. Um, and, if, and here's a really interesting connection. Uh, transhumanism also has a, a connection back to transgenderism, hmm. which is why Martine Rothblatt in her book, her book, his book i'm not quite sure what how what are the proper pronouns now yeah, i don't because I because no martin rothblatt was born as martin rothblatt and became uh very well well recognized as uh as the first kind of like the first uh celebrity uh transgender as martin martin transitioned to martin and at the same time if you're using sirius xm radio that's his <laughs> hers Technology. Um, Mart Martin is a a rock star in the transhumanist movement, 
um, primarily because she is a again I'm not sure what how does how to, how to call Martine. She is a uh, a leading scientific uh, developer, technical developer in the world of uh, of satellites and uh, and, and orbital stations. Um, brilliant scientific mind, and so she talks about how she's transitioned and how transhumanism and transgenderism in many respects are really part of that same construct yeah. we're looking at transitioning to something else yeah so let me read something and then i want to get uh just clarify for me this is uh from let me just read this this paragraph a common feature of transhumanism and this word right here philosophical post-humanism is the future vision of a new intelligent species into which humanity will evolve and eventually will supplement or supersede it. Um, break that down for us. And then, Patrick, I'd love to get your take again on, because what I'm seeing as I'm reading here, they're, they're vying for human 2.0. That's, that's what I see, right? It is we, like you guys mentioned at the beginning, the life from the very, very beginning, which is you could be like God as well. But there seems to be, you need funding and you need, you, you need both sides. You need the economic side to this, right? And you need the, the in, intellectual side. And so both of them are coming together despite the fact that they might have massive differences, in their worldviews, but somehow they managed to meet at this midpoint. And so before we get there, talk to us, Carl, real quick about this, this philosophy of post-humanism and what their future vision of becoming new intelligent species and how uh, their belief of evolving, evolution, evolving into um, this, this new super species, if you don't mind. Sure. And it depends who you talk to. You will get different answers to the question you just asked. So for an example, I spent some time with John Glad, who's almost unknown, but he was an, an academic who specialized in uh, Russian intellectual history. I have a copy of his book, Future Human Evolution. And uh, it's entitled Eugenics in the 21st Century. He was a really interesting individual. I spent an afternoon, afternoon uh, in his apartment. Uh, and I asked him in, our, in, in the interview, uh, why did you write the book? He says, I wrote it because I believe, and I'm just paraphrasing, I believe mankind will end. We will not survive as a species. And I want the, our future computer entities to be able to look back and learn, to read this book and learn about how we failed as humanity and how we didn't evolve. And so his view was, we actually fail, and mm -hmm. computers rise, and robotics arise, and, and that becomes the new life form okay. that inhabits, uh, inhabits planet Earth. Uh, it was actually a really, it was a downer afternoon, Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, because it was like, like it, it became nihilistic, it became, yeah. it, it, it really was a dead end, uh, and, and in our conversation, I, it, my heart was heavy, um, because there was no hope. He had no yeah. hope. When our and I was part of a small uh, camera crew, a small documentary uh, company. When we were leaving, I, and I took a shine to, to Dr. Glad. We actually had a, some really good conversations. What struck me was just how lonely he was. Just how lonely. I mean, he begged us 
not to leave his apartment. And, and he was like offering us ice cream. And I remember as we we're packing up, we had to go. We had to leave because we had, had other appointments uh, for that day. And he, he was begging us to mm. stay. Just talk. Just talk to me. Yeah. You know, here, here's an, another side to this whole, and I realize I just kind of got off the- No, no, no. Off, it's okay. Off, it's, off, the, off track from your it's question. It's all good. But, Let's do it. Okay. Another thing we have to remember, these are human beings. Yeah. They have souls. And, and I know it's easy for us sometimes as researchers and those involved in the Christian research community, we, we sometimes will, we, we, we sometimes disconnect ourselves from the fact that th these are individuals who, who, who are also made in God's image. Yeah. Uh, and that's the great irony of it all. They're made in God's image. That's right. And, and they're at war. They're at war with their maker. Um, and, and so there's one benefit in terms of rubbing shoulders with these people on a one-on-one -on -one basis and you realize that, okay, you know, strip away the ideology, strip away all the, the hopium of, of their technology, advancing them into something else. Um, bottom line, they're people and, and they're, they're looking for some, some form of salvation, some, some hope, some answer. Uh, to, to that end, when I was at the Global uh, Futures Congress back in, in New York City in 2013, had the opportunity to spend a little bit of time with, with Dr. Uh, James Martin, who was, he wrote the book on computer networking. Uh, he gave Oxford University its, its largest um, donation in its 900 year history. This man was Mr. Computer Networking. Um, and, and I interviewed him, I spent a part of an afternoon with him, with our film crew. And when the, when the interview was done, I walked back to the convention center where we were having uh, the, the actual event. Uh, turned out he came from a farm in England. I'm a farm boy from Manitoba. We ended up having this great conversation. And, and he was like, uh, let's have lunch together. And, and we, we were even talking on tra about transhumanism at that point. We were actually talking, um, you know, on, on a more of a common ground in terms of our personal experiences. And I couldn't. I couldn't because we had already arranged for another interview that was right on the heels of, of his. And eight days later, I received an email from, from somebody who said, do you know that, that he passed away? Mm. He's gone. Uh, a kayaker, a sea kayaker, a kayaker had found his, his floating body uh, not far from his, uh, his Caribbean estate. Wow. And, and, and Dr. Martin had talked all about how he viewed, his, he viewed science and technology as this form of, 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 of salvation. This is, this, is, this is where we have to go in order for us to, to defeat the problem of death and to, to become more than man and to move towards a glorious civilization and, and he was describing it no longer just in terms of this is about man evolving yourself but we evolve all of civilization with it which goes right back around to pat wood's discussion on sustainable development because that's really what that is here is this glorious vision of what the future will look like economically, socially, relationally, all as it fits and comes together in service to the earth, in service to ourselves yeah. as the final arbitrator of what is true and the final master uh, as we build heaven on earth. Yeah. That really is the bottom line. And so it's not just that it has a vision for what the future may be in terms of what the human species is. It has a vision for the entire planet. Sure. And that vision is to build heaven on earth. Yeah. In our in our image. In our image. I agree. Listen, yeah. Pat, um, I want to bring it back to you real quick because there's definitely a connection. These guys 
on the technology side versus the philosophical, transhuman, whatever you want to call it side, there's always a common ground. Carl, you just mentioned, you know, a common ground. I want to just, uh, and, and I want you to make the connection, Pat, real quick, if you wouldn't mind. Um, you mentioned IBM being started, right? Half of the bottom floor of um, Columbia University, right? That's where the inception of IBM started. And we've got guys like Watson and Hollerith um, and, uh, you know, Flint who started IBM. But also their folks might not understand, case in point, Carl, you also mentioned eugenics. If we go back, let's say, World War II, we have one of the most well-known eugenicists, right, uh, Adolf Hitler. And the tie with IBM as well, the Hollerith machine and the, the tabulator, there's, again, there's common ground here. You have in your, um, let me get over there. You had an article today on your website, uh, Pat, and it was Yuval Noah Harari on there. And these two guys right here, let me pause this over here. Um, let me go back. All right. So you've got Klaus Schwab and you've got Yuval Noah Harari. I mean, these two guys work in tandem with one another, yet there's a, co there's, there's a common goal, even though they both might have different reasons for wanting that same common goal. So it's, it's an age old adage of, you know, uh, your enemy is, is it, or something along those lines, your enemy is a friend your, I don't know what it is. You guys know what it is. If you know it, help me out here. Your enemies are running my enemy. I don't know. One of those. But there is a common goal, Pat. So if you don't mind, just walk us through that really quick, where it is that that intersection happens between the two and how they work hand in hand to obtain that goal first and foremost. I think the easiest way to understand it is by an analogy. Um, and this is the way I phrase it when I when I speak about this, try to get people to grasp the concept. Technocracy is to the restructuring of society, the economic system and how society is run. Transhumanism is the restructuring of humanity in order to populate and live in that new uh, technocracy system. The, the concept here is do you put do you put new wine in old wineskins? The answer is no. And that's in, that's a biblical thought too. That's just, yep. <laughs> you don't do that. Yep. You put new wine into new wineskins because it stretches, and so it doesn't burst. But old wineskins, it will burst. Well, and kind of in the same way, why would you build a new society, a science-driven, you know, quote-unquote science, pseudoscience-driven society, with all the things we talk about technocracy, only to put the same old people into it yeah. that wrecked the last system? You see, does that make sense? Yep. It doesn't make any sense to these people. It's, it's logical, perfectly logical. Thank you, Mr. Spock. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's perfectly logical. You need new people to put into a new system. Otherwise, they're going to destroy it because those old people, they, they're the ones that destroyed the last thing that we did. So why bring them forward and put them into this new system? Correct. That's why Klaus Schwab is completely sold out to transhumanism, completely. When he speaks about the um, Fourth Industrial Revolution, which, uh, you know, there's a lot of documents. He wrote a book on it called The Fourth Industrial Revolution. Yeah. He's probably the big popularizer of the concept. But, you know, as people come sign and say, well, we had a third industrial revolution. We have a second one and go back to the first one. That, 
take that progression forward. Now we're going to have the fourth industrial revolution. Yeah, things are changing, computers and AI and all kind of stuff. Stuff is changing. Okay, fourth industrial revolution. Here we go. He talks about it like a child talking about his favorite toy or his favorite candy or something. You know, like He says the fourth industrial revolution is going to change a lot of stuff. But he said it isn't about changing stuff. It's about, and it's what he said. I'll try and imitate him. He said, it's about changing you. <laughs> and he emphasizes you. Yeah. And then he goes and says, with genetic engineering, we can, you know, transform humanity into humanity 2.0. And he just goes on as if he didn't say anything at all, just gloss right over it. But in his mind, it's important. If, if we're doing all this stuff on the economy over here and, and the Great Reset, but the Great Reset in his mind now has two parts. There's society and there's humanity. And he's into it hook, line, and sinker, totally into it. And this is how they've merged together. They found, and you could call this, if you look at the, if you look at the system of the world and figure there's a God of this world and figure that in the Bible, the world means the God of this world, that world is the cosmos. It's not the physical world. It's the cosmos, how it's organized, how it's put together, how systems of people work together, governments work together and so on. It's, it's the interaction, the social interaction of, of the world. That's the cosmos. And the cosmos is very distinct in the Bible to the physical world, which God says he owns the physical world and it belongs just to him exclusively. But the cosmos is, is run by the God of this world who is no, no intellectual slouch, I have to say. Yeah. He knows he, everything from day one that happened on it. He understands he's talked with God. He's very intelligent, said he was an intelligent being. The trap was laid well before 2000 for this to happen. Before 2000, if you put a transhumanist in it, or maybe go, go back to 1980, 1970, if you were to put a transhumanist and a technocrat in the same room, it, they might not even had a conversation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, well, nice to meet you. I met somebody new and walk away. There might not have been an attraction, a national attraction. But when the conditions were right, as, as all of this advanced, is the ideology of technocracy advanced, the application of it, is the application of transhumanism advanced over here, all of a sudden they realized, there's my soulmate. Mm. They came together. This could not have just happened, in my opinion, just could not have happened by chance. I think that I think this is very carefully orchestrated. The trap was laid. The long-term trap was laid by the devil many, many decades, if not centuries ago, yeah. you know, to bring it to this point where they found that they were meant to be together. Yeah. <laughs> and now they are. And having said that, not to discourage people at all, having said that, I want to, I got to throw out the base, couple of basics again here. One basic is Genesis 3. Yep. The original temptation is, is, hasn't changed. You can have all the knowledge that God has. If you just follow along with me, you surely won't die. That's this right. is the same thing as being, you know, Elon Musk wants to put a brain chip in your thing so he can get into Google or Google can get into you, yeah. and, you yep. know, and you can be super smart, uh, omniscient, um, almost, you know, super uh, knowing everything. Um, but the, the basics of this thing right now is that if you consider the system of the world and what's going on with what we're talking about here, we also need to consider the world itself. That is the physical side of the world. And this is a biblical kind of a basic biblical construct here. The physical world, the Old Testament is very clear, it belongs to God. Yep. 
And that also includes the people in it because they're part of his creation. It says so about a thousand times. You know, we are his creation. The evidence that we are his create that we're in his ownership, if you will, is that he reserves judgment for those who do not believe in him for the end, for the great white throne judgment. Correct. They will be judged by him because he owns them and has the right to judge those those things which he owns, right? So it, putting people aside just for a second, if we look at the world, the physical world, where are all of the attacks, the current attacks that we complain about, the sustainable development, the global warming, the um, the messenger RNA shots that are causing so much, so much, so much damage in the world. Um, you know, you have the, uh, the, 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 the gas prom or not the gas prom, but the Nord pipeline explosion that, uh, put more <laughs> that we're getting blamed for now that put more, yeah. more gas into the atmosphere than in the last five centuries, <laughs> just in a short period of time. You know, we get this uh, this train wreck in Michigan that yeah, underscores, oh, my gosh, yep. you know, destroying a whole town and maybe a whole community and yep. thousands and thousands of animals might die. Maybe people are going to start dying, too. Who knows? All of the things right now that we're complaining about involve destruction of the physical things of the earth, the physical things of the earth. That's what global warming is all about. They say that man is the culprit here. Man has just man has caused this situation. It's going to destroy the earth. We must fix this. So the way they fix it is to attack the earth. When of course they're attacking the people in the process too, because they're a creation of God as well. What I want to point out here is that they're sticking collectively. They're sticking their finger in God's eye and saying basically, "To heck with your creation. We're taking over." Yeah. We're taking over here. We're going to control all of creation, nanotechnology. We're going to create matter and create things out of, uh, you know, molecules that we want to create. We don't want your creation anymore. They deny, on one hand, that there's an intelligent designer because they reject God. That's right. But now that they see they have the tools to control nature, including people with genetic engineering, they have taken over the role of that intelligent designer that they don't believe in. Yeah. This is something right. Christians need to understand this, this whole, this overarching thing outside of the physical, physical world. Then we have the system of the world, which is kind of mostly what we're talking about here today. We're talking AI and, yep. you know, political, how the political system is going to work and the people are going to work and all that kind of stuff. But there has been a war launched against humanity. Yep in this whole process, and it will not succeed. I, it's guaranteed because all of the book of Revelation, the entire book of Revelation talks about God creation incessantly. And he uses the tools, the instruments of creation to judge the world. He yep. says, you want creation? I'll show you creation. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and he gives it to them. Yeah. You it's want like, you know, they're hiding in caves as the rocks fall on us, you know, keep yep. us from the face of the, the one who's, you know, <laughs> The, the lamb who is, you know, has wrath. And, you know, we, we look at this today as we're kind of moving from, you know, we're speeding up, we're accelerating yeah, into this are. new, you know, this new era. But for a Christian that would understand the Bible, once you understand this, this basic construct of what these people are doing, this war on humanity, the war on the world to, to destroy the physical creation, you realize it will never work. It doesn't have 
a chance, it's a snowball's chance in Hades of yeah. working. Yeah. And if if we just didn't know that intuitively, the Bible is clear. Um, for instance, Hebrews uh, nine twenty seven says, "And it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the, the judgment." judgment. There's nobody going to escape death. That's right. Period. There was only one who escaped death, and he did die anyway. Had to die in order to be come back to life, and that, of course, was Jesus Christ. Yeah. But and he offers the gift of <laughs> loosely transhumanism, posthumanism to us, because we have a posthuman future. That's right. In heaven, when yeah. we're finally out of the, you know out of this planet. Yeah. But in the meantime, what the Bible says about it, you know, it, uh, it the it's appointed unto men to come, you know, to, to die. That's the end of the subject. It, we don't need to discuss anymore about this whole thing. They will not succeed. Yeah. They will destroy whatever they touch in the process of trying to succeed. That's kind of what I'm saying here. Okay. Everything yep. they touch, it like turns to dirt. Yeah. This has been true since 1992 with sustainable development, for instance, and all the, the Millennium Development Goals and then the Sustainable, uh, the, uh, the sustainable Development Goals, uh, 17 of those. They hold out these grandiose carrots. We're going to eliminate poverty. We're going to eliminate hunger. We're going to have jobs for everyone. You know, blah, 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 blah. This yep. is all the carrot. The carrot is laid out for us. When, but when the carrot starts moving along and people start following, oh, I want that carrot. You know, I want jobs for all or whatever. Yeah. All of a sudden, you see a path of destruction in their wake. You know, as they yep. move along, things in the, in the rearview mirror, things are being destroyed. Yeah, for these people to think and for us to think that they're going to bring any kingdom of God on earth here is just it's just insane. Biblically speaking, it's insane. We yeah. should reject that out of hand. Yeah, they cannot and will not succeed. It's not a matter. It's not so much a matter of God coming down like a Tower of Babel again and saying, oh, we're going to scatter your languages sure. and stuff. And he's going to break it up that way. By nature, it cannot succeed. And I'm not, I don't want to be weird here, but if this, let's just say for a period of 10 years, God exited the scene and he wasn't, you know, he'd had no, no influence or control. Yeah. It's guaranteed to fail still. It would fail yeah. on its own because it's structurally mis it's misconstructed. Yeah. It can't succeed. So this is what we're dealing with. We talk about all these things, you know, I say, well, they sound really amazing. They sound stellar. Sometimes, you know, some people, in fact, a lot of people in America right now are looking at transhumanism with a very favorable bias. Yeah, yeah. They they think, oh man, that you know that could really be cool. You know, we could live forever. Maybe I could live to be ninety or hundred or hundred and fifty years old instead of seventy or eighty. You know, people are falling into this trap like crazy. That's another reason to know that the God of this world is at work here. That's right. <laughs> He's trapping people into the system like crazy. Yeah. Anyway, I wanted to bring that up. No, I'm glad you did. Basic constructs of yep. it. Yep. I'm glad you did. Now, you touched on something that I think is very important too is the fact that one thing that uh, is completely void and absent from this movement is the um, is is really sin, right? The consequences of sin. And that's really what introduced death. Through sin, we got death. And no matter how you slice it, no matter what these guys try to do, the end goal, I mean, the end goal, the end product is always going to be death, no matter what. And yeah. so just really, let me back up a bit, because I think when we talk about transhumanism, when we talk about 
um, the whole notion of going beyond human, um, including artificial intelligence. Let, let's talk about, so you have the transhuman movement, and then you have this movement afoot, which is huge, of uh, technology, of artificial intelligence. You've got strong AI. We talked uh, briefly about that before we went on. Weak AI. At what point um, do does the artificial intelligence start to take over um, not only jobs, but for example, we have, as of maybe two, three years ago, these things called deep fakes. Um, so there is obviously an ethical um, argument that we have to bring to the table yes. in all yes. of this. Yes. Yes. And, and us as believers, obviously, the first one we always look to and see things through the lens of Scripture and of yeah. Christ, right, is, yeah. is Him. What does the Lord say about all this? But if we bring it down to the argument of ethics, really, what, what, what are we talking about um, when... Because there is a big argument now on the table, and there has been for a while, and now with the advent of deep fakes, with the advent of chat GPT, um, there is a whole lot of, I, in, my, in my opinion, ethical violations that are going to be happening, and how do we deal with those? So, Carl, why don't you take that first? Because I know I just, I just threw a lot out at you, and we could do shows on shows on just ethics alone, but really, well, let's talk about that really quick. So why don't you go ahead and take the floor on this one? Sure. Uh, I'm going to throw... Uh another perspective into the ethical challenge that comes with artificial intelligence. Uh, and that is the creation of new histories. Yep. So I teach a course at Miller College of the Bible. It's a modular course on secular and pagan trends. And it's a one week course. I, I, I did it back in January. And we ended up having a lot of discussion because one of our, our, our modular sections of that course deals on transhumanism and technocracy. And so there's a lot of discussion around at that point because ChatGP was GPT was just coming out. Uh, now, of course, you have the Bing's artificial yep. intelligence. Uh, it's they have their own chat uh, uh, bot. Um, Google has its own product out there. And so the the question around the ethics of it was was important because, all right, students, do you need to write a paper? How's Correct. this going to look? Yep. I, I, I challenge one of my students, and, um, and I'm hoping he's going to take it up. Uh, uh, I don't know if he's going to be able to just because of time constraints, but that was to develop a worldview survey, a Christian worldview survey, survey a number of people in your, in your church, survey a number of friends, and then conduct the same survey using chat GPT or some other AI-generated chat um, uh, machine and just see what what the compare and contrasting would look like. I think that'd be a remarkable and fun experiment. But then the question came: What about history? And, and for me, this was a remarkable, a remarkable uh, uh, situation. Last last fall, last fall, I wasn't able to go to Burning Man, so I was just monitoring what I could online as people were talking about the event. And all of a sudden, all of this AI-generated art was popping up about. 2022's Burning Man and it looked super cool and it was amazing and and massive structures and you had all kinds of of really really amazing visuals that were popping up on my social media feed and I'm looking at it I'm going garbage yeah this is this this is all this is fake 
but the level of acceptance that I was seeing in the in the messaging, it was like all of a sudden people were falling over themselves like wow can you believe what's happening and you could it was evident that they were that they were buying it as a real image and then around the same time period and i know who did it and and i don't think he did it i know he didn't do it maliciously but it was interesting just how it, it, it evolved the conversation um all of a sudden there was images of 1963 burning man fascinating images incredible art pieces and and it was all period perfect and and it worked and and the conversation was oh look i didn't know burning man started back then i didn't know the event was so big back then blah 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 somebody did the same thing again i think it was the same individual with 1920 all of a sudden you had all this <laughs> incredible imagery that looked so authentic yeah and it was evident that everybody was buying it as authentic except for those who actually understood it sure and because Burning Man didn't start until 1986, and then it was a nothing little event that happened on Baker Beach in San Francisco. It wasn't until the mid-1990s when it really blossomed, and actually not until roughly the year 2000 that it exploded and became what it is today. All that, all that was a fake reality, a yeah. fake history. Now, you take that and you accompany it with, let's say, a chat AI, chat GPT or whatever, Bing. And you construct a whole new level of documentation, written documentation about a fiction. You can now begin to literally reconstruct history. And while the students of history may challenge it, it doesn't matter. We're a culture that's absolutely soaked in information yeah. and completely devoid of context. And so we will buy the fake history. Yeah, I think that is a massive, massive ethical question. It's, it goes way beyond is this, you know, for the pastor who's writing a sermon or the, the student who's writing a paper it goes way beyond the, the implications of just you know, some type of AI generated plagiarism, yeah. all the way to the point of let's let's build an entire false historical narrative and, and then what would what does that look like can, can i jump in there real quick because you said something that really struck a chord in me and i'd been thinking about this for a while in regards to chat gpt um i'm wondering right on a spiritual level too because we're talking about the ethical i can't disconnect both the spiritual and the ethical to me those go hand in hand because the lord is the one that gives us, you know, our moral compass. God wrote morality into the hearts of every individual. And for those that are in Christ, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And if we take it, for example, to a pastor who might be tempted to jump on chat GPT because, hey, at the end of the day, I've got a million things I've got to do, and it would just help me. At what point do we do we become disconnected from the guidance of the Holy Spirit? And I'm talking as believers to allow these things to write for us as opposed to allowing the Holy Spirit to, you know, to write through us in case in point, we're talking about a pastor. Mm -hmm. And so we go from being Holy Spirit inspired and driven where we know that prayerfully, the word coming to the congregation, and we know that's not the case in a lot of churches, but the word coming to the congregation is inspired by the Holy Spirit, as opposed to, hey, this sermon that I'm about to give you guys is inspired by AI chat GPT, and so there you have, and that is a slippery slope, 
as we approach it from that perspective as well. Where does it end? Where, where do we really, where do we say, no, this is where we draw the line? At what point? You know what I mean? Um, maybe- I, I, totally, I totally get what you're meaning. And, and Pablo, can I take it one step further? Yeah, please. We already are. We're, we're already there and have been there for a long time, not in the sense of AI-generated influence, yeah. but in the sense of social-generated influence. Sure, I'm sure. sorry. Yeah. We have... We have multitudes of sermons preached every Sunday that has been inspired by crowd gnosis. Sure. You know? Yeah. So to your point, yeah, it, it's an issue. It's a real issue. Yeah. Uh, what, are, what are the ethical implications of this at a pastoral level? What is the implications at it in terms of preaching God's word? Uh, my goodness, we we can, yeah, we're, we, we succumb to the influence of the world, don't yeah, we? Yeah, absolutely. Pat, what's your take on that, on, on this whole notion of ethics, on technology? Because let, let me spin it a different way, too. Um, John Haller and I were talking uh, about artificial intelligence and the notion of chat GPT getting to a point where it can write. Now, it, it can. I know it can write code, but I think the uh, type of code it could write is limited. But for example, Jeff Brown was saying that within the next few years, 2025, 2027, it'll get to a perfected place where um, software like ChatGPT, these algorithms like ChatGPT will be able to write such complex um, coding that the need for engineering, engineers will be obsolete. And so uh, what, what really are the ethical... Um, let me say, red lines that we're probably going to be crossing, maybe if we're not crossing them now, in regards to the tech aspect of things? The only, I think the only way to, to really understand this truly is from a biblical point of view. I know we could explain it. And, you know, if, if, if Carl and I were instructed, like ChatGPT gets instructed, if we were instructed to... Yeah give a lecture, but not mention the Bible, we could do it. I'm sure we could do it. Yeah. You know, would we do it? I don't know. But I mean, we could do it. You know, if they said, well, you got to give a talk, but you can't talk, you can't bring up the Bible, we could still have a talk and it'd be a good talk. And we could make some points. But <clears throat> what AI, the whole business of AI in general, there's there's two things. Well, let me let me back up and just just talk about the mind first. Sure. All of these tools, are an attack on the human mind. That's the goal. An attack on the human mind. Now, who does the human mind belong to? Well, it's part of man. Man was created in the image of God. The mind belongs to man. Yet there's an attack on the mind to restructure, to destroy, if possible, the mind. This is unmistakable across the world. The whole spectrum of what we're talking about right here is designed to destroy the mind of man. This is an attack on humanity, and it's an attack on God's creation. Yeah. Quite quite honestly. No other way to look at it. What this means is there's two parts to the mind. There's just basically what you think. And then there's how you think. They're they're different. They're psychology or, you know, mind science people. They'll tell you that. There's what you think, what you believe, what you think. And you might think some things because somebody else told you. For instance, you know, if Carl told me something, I said, well, that sounds reasonable. I might just take it away and say, yeah, I'm not going to go do any further issues. I just believe what he said. Yeah. But 
it, whatever you think, whatever your political persuasion, your, all of your history, your family, everything that's in your mind, what you think is one thing, how you think is another. Artificial intelligence is being thrown at us in two different, kind of in two different flavors here. One is to impress on you what you think. In other words, to get you to adopt different ideas and stuff. This is what the cults were all about for, I mean, for decades. Dr. Walter Martin wrote wrote the the kind of the, the Bible on cults. Yeah, he with did. his huge book that he wrote. You drop it on your toe and you break your toe. Yep. Um, he explained how cults use the mind to get access to the human condition to where they get there. You go, kingdom of the cults. They, to where they they get sucked into this belief system, but it doesn't necessarily change how they think. It just changes what they think. Okay, there's, there's a big difference here, and I'll explain it. What, what's happening with, with artificial intelligence and with social media and with other, you know, very subtle techniques of social engineering, which, by the way, was technocracy's original definition of themselves. They are all about the science of social engineering. Yes. That's what they led with, always. What, what all these technologies are designed to do is, in addition to changing what you think, is to change how you think. Education experts now are picking up on this. There's actually papers being written about this right now. Children's minds are getting rewired on how they arrive at decisions to think, you know, what they're going to adopt to think. It's physically changing their minds, their, yeah. their brains, to where they cannot think. And, and the value to the, well, to the, to, the, to the devil and to the system of the world is this. You can tell somebody, you can set up a conduit to tell somebody what to think and just continue to tell them, you know, every day you're going to have to tell them more stuff, put more stuff on the conveyor belt, think this, think this, think this. And if they're all out there and, you know, the, the recipients of that say, oh, I, I believe that, I believe that, I believe that. And so that you're just stuffing them full of what to think. That conveyor belt of ideas of what to think is very monotonous for the, is very inefficient yeah. for the system of the world. Very inefficient. Now we know technocrats and transhumans they hate inefficiency. So <laughs> let's just get to the cut to the quick here. How would it be if we change how they think so that they will independently come up with the conclusions that we, they want us to believe on their own? Therefore, we won't have to be right there telling them what to think all the time. Yep. What a, what a novel idea! <laughs> now there may not be a psychologist or a neuroscientist that has the the, you know, the brains to put all this big scheme together that I'm suggesting here. But we know the God of this world has that knowledge. That's right. And this is an attack on the human condition. We talk about set, liber, liberating the human condition <laughs> that transhumanists do. In the meantime, people are, their brains are being rewired to think differently, to come to different conclusions given the same stimulus, maybe, you know, five years ago, they wouldn't have even considered believing stuff they believe today, but now they're, they're reasoning on their own to come to these crazy looped out ideas. And you say, where did you pick that? Where did you hear that? You know, where, where'd you come up with that thought? Yeah. And as well, they didn't hear it necessarily anywhere, but they were presented with some stimulus and all of a sudden they spit out this off the wall conclusion and they now have fallen into the camp of the enemy, in a sense. This is what Christians need to guard against. It's not just what you believe. It's how you believe. That's right. I think in biblical terms, a biblical scholar would call this your hermeneutical structure. Yep. Right? The scaffolding you build up through which you learn. Sure. Yeah. 
if the devil can destroy that, he's got it. He's got he's got man. Yeah. And so, you know, I view this whole thing as an attack on on the human condition because it's an attack on the mind. If if you want more validation on that, go see what the New Testament has to say about the mind. That's right. Guard your mind. <laughs> Guard yeah. your mind and your heart. Guard your mind. Because everything that gets to your heart first has to go through your mind. It yeah. does. Yeah. You have to read good read the Bible, read the Bible so that God can put it in your heart and make it real to you, right? Everything yeah. goes through your mind. Yeah, I agree. What better way to screw up mankind than just to screw up his mind? Yeah. So that he doesn't reason the same way he did hundred years ago. Well, didn't didn't Hitler uh want to get a hold of the youth of the mind of the youths and of the children, yes. therefore transforming yes. the society? I mean, yes. that's a that's an age old uh, you know, uh, adage, uh, if we can get mm -hmm. to the mind of the person, then we've got them, period. This has always been the battle. I'm Back in 1980, I think it was, Tim LaHaye wrote a book called The Battle for the Mind. Yeah, I remember that book. Yep. It's Yeah, okay, so yep. this is not, not a new thought. The, the battle has been for them. It's been a spiritual battle from day one, really, yeah. but the battle for the mind has been kind of floating in and out of Christian thought but now, I, people kind of forgot a lot in the last 20 years, I have to say. And yeah. Maybe that's a purposeful thing, too. But people forgot all the stuff we went through before about the battle of the mind when Christians were talking about it. That's you right. Know, and, but today, it's like, okay, you've got two things here. Again, as I said, you've got how, what you think is one thing. You can force somebody to think some something in a way. You can torture them, you know, like they did in 1984. Yep. <laughs> you could torture them where they say, okay, I believe it. Um, or you can change the way they think, Re rewire their brain. Thank you, Elon Musk, for your brain, yeah, neural Neuralink. brain chip. Yep. yep. Uh, re <laughs> change how you think. Then you solve the problem of what you think, because we don't care what you think now. <laughs> you can think anything you yeah. want because you're not thinking straight. You're thinking like a, you know, like a, like a zombie. It doesn't matter what you think anymore. Yep. You're not thinking the truth. You're That's not taking correct. in the truth. You're not observing the truth. You're not able to relate to reality anymore. Hey, get a headset, go into the metaverse, and don't ever come out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. So let me let me get your Carl and Patrick. I want to say something, and then I want to get your take each on what I'm about to say. Pastor JD Farag and a good friend of mine, Pete Garcia, most everybody knows, um, uh, said they they both have said it, but. Something along the lines that if technology keeps on going and proliferating at the speed at which it is, right, which we know it seems to be on this exponential curve, at some point it will go beyond the technology we see written of in the book of Revelation. Carl, why don't you, um, I want your response to that. And then uh, what do you think about that? Will tech, the tech that we see, if, if it continues, Will it? Will we see it go past the technology spoken of in Revelation? Why don't you take that first, Carl, and then Patrick? You can go, or you want to go first, Patrick? Go ahead, let, let Carl. I'll, I'll follow up with with Carl. Okay, go well, for the, it. The, the, that's an interesting <laughs> speculation. That's a very interesting speculation. It will never exceed or surprise God. Sure. Never. It will maybe exceed or surprise what we have in terms of our expectations. Uh, if, if, if I could resurrect, thank goodness I can't. If I could resurrect <laughs> my grandparents, they would be 
absolutely in shock, considered, considering where they stood in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and even up to the early 80s before they passed away, the technologies that they saw are radically different than the technologies that we now take for granted. And they would have never been able to foresee sure. in, their, in their world what, what today would have looked like. Some of the, the writers of science fiction can foresee. Science fiction is an amazing genre, and that's the place where you take your visions and your ideas and you flesh them out into possible scenarios. Uh, so science fiction has a, a, has a tremendous uh, push in terms of, of what technology might look like and how it may be. Will technology, is this race towards the future, will it look different than what we anticipate even now? Yeah, but will will it surprise God? I don't think that's where they're going with, with in the conversation. Sure, um, I'm not sure what the conversation exactly all entailed. It's not going to surprise God, obviously, not at all. Now, the other thing to keep in mind, and this is important, technology has a utilitarian function, and at some point, the utilitarian function of a certain item, gadget, or piece of technology does come up, up to the brick wall. It, it ends. Um, Plumbing, your toilet, great case in point. Your toilet is essentially the same as the toilet my grandparents used, yep. et cetera, et cetera. The technology has its limitations. Um, sure, our telephones became walking computers. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I don't know where I live, everybody has pickup trucks. Pickup trucks are essentially the same, just with more bells and whistles and more things that will go wrong and do go wrong yep. than my 1997 GMC pickup truck, which I can still work on on my, you know, myself. Yeah. Yep. So uh, even even transhumanists understand, at least some of them, that the vision of the future doesn't necessarily align with the reality of the technologies that they're working on. Such a great, great case in point was the technologies that were being presented at the 2045 Future Congress in 2013. At this point now, according to their own timeline, we should be miles and miles and miles ahead of what we now currently experience. Um, and so we can talk a lot about what technology can do, how it can bring us to certain places. But there always is a, there's always, uh, how do I say this? There's, there's limits. A shelf life. Uh, shelf life, there's discouragements. Uh, things don't always work. I'll never forget being at, the, at that New York event. And there was so much talk about reverse engineering the human brain. And how once we have all the neural connections mapped out, and we fully understand the brain, we'll then, then be able to grasp consciousness, and we'll be able to really contemplate uploading our consciousness into a mainframe, and we can sure. live in the virtual world. Fantastic. Sounds really good in theory, if, you, if that's what you want to do. One, one of the neuroscientists who was at this event, and it was remarkable, said, look, we have mapped out the neural network of the round worm. I think it's like 302 neural connectors. We know it in and out, backwards and forwards. We play with it all the time. There's nothing hidden with it. We know it. And we still don't know how its life functions. We don't know life. And that, when he was describing this, I'm like, we are fearfully, wonderfully made. Good luck. This kind of goes back to even Pat's previous uh, discussion about yep. uh, the wreckage, the wreckage that 
transhumanism may bring. Yeah. I am not so concerned about the end result of what the transhumanist goals look like, because those goals will change and shift as challenges come into the picture. I'm more concerned about two things. Number one, the messianic cult-like self-salvation message that comes out of it. Sure. And then the damage that will occur as we try to force it to happen. Yeah. Yeah, I agree 100%. And then let me throw something else for you in the mix, Pat. Um, as you're talking about this notion of current technology, if un, uh, unabated, will supersede that spoken of in the book of Revelation, I'm going to throw something else on top of that for you, is we know that Bible prophecy has a, it has a shelf life. There is, there is a, um, a time where it will be completed, right? God, the, the Lord's uh, uh, batting is 100%. He is accurate 100%. So we know that what the book of Revelation, book of Daniel, everything spoken of, and let's say Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, all of that will come to pass exactly as the Lord outlined it in Scripture. So with that in mind, knowing that prophecy does have a shelf life to it, I want to hear your take, just like I did Carl's, on the notion of if technology continues unabated, it will, uh, it will supersede that technology which we see in the Bible, especially in the book of Revelation. I think it, um, it, comes, it comes in to uh, nose to nose with the Bible itself. I don't think it's a question we could answer theoretically, but I can answer it definitively just from what the Bible says. Please do. Uh, the people we're talking about are specifically mentioned, in my opinion, in the book of Revelation, specifically. And I find it in Revelation chapter 11, uh, verse, I want to look at here, Go for verse it. 18. 11, 18. This is after the seventh trumpet and or the going into that period of time is in Italy right now. But yep. the saints are praising God because uh, the kingdoms of the world have just been handed over to the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. um, and it says in verse 15, the kingdoms of this world are, are become the kingdoms of our Lord and, and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So this is where he takes over where what Satan tried to give him on the mountain when he was alive on earth, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. You just worship me. Jesus didn't do that. He said, you know, I know in his mind, he's thinking, no, I'm not going to, I don't want them now. I'll get them later and I'll get them my way, <laughs> not your way. So I won't worship you. But the kingdoms of the world now, finally, after all this stuff in, in chapter 11 have become the kingdoms of our Lord. And now the real fireworks are going to start, so to speak, yep. as he kind of cleans up the, the landscape. And so it goes down, the saints start praising, we give thanks, O Lord Almighty, which art and west and art to come. You know, this is all the, the angels. I mean, everybody in heaven is just going berserk at that point, I'm sure. But when you get to verse 18, it's really interesting because it talks about these people. It references First Psalm 2, where it says, And the nations were angry, and thy wrath has come in the time of the dead that they should be judged, and thou shouldest give them reward, thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and, and those that fear thy name, great and small. Now, that's exciting for a Christian to yep. read that. Okay, this is the time. We've been struggling with this kingdom of the world nonsense for a long time, 
since the beginning of the world. And now the Lord has control again. He's going to be king. He's going to take over. And there will be literally heaven on earth at that point because he's going to be there as a king. But right at the end of that, there's a little tagline. There's a little tag phrase that just kind of puzzles, puzzled me for years. Because in the midst of all the celebration of the of the kingdoms of the world coming into the hand now control of the Lord, the saints going nuts in heaven, just having an excited time. Wow, we've just been waiting for this. Oh, thank God that you've now you're in control of the kingdoms of the world. The the little parrot, the little line at the end of it, just a phrase that says, after uh, you know, the reward thy servants and saints and all that, great and small. It says, and thou sh- and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. Yeah, that's part of the promise. That's part of the whole thing right here. Right after the kingdoms float, go into the into the hand of the Lord. He says, I'm going to give you saints rewards, you know, all kind, whatever. It doesn't say specifically, but you can get that elsewhere in the New Testament. So the, the prophets, the saints are going to be rewarded. Those that fear thy name, small and great. And thou sh- and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. That's the people we're talking about right now that destroy the earth. Yeah. It and it doesn't. The word the word earth here is not uh, cosmos. It's those kingdoms which represented the cosmos. He's got them in the hand now. Okay. He's taken over the cosmos. He always he always had the physical earth. That was always his. But now it says that those that destroy the earth. The word for earth there is the physical earth, G, J, G, E, the physical earth, okay? Those that destroy the physical earth are going to be destroyed. Yeah. That's it. You know, if you told any of these people today, you know, you're mentioned in the book of Revelation, (laughs) they'd flip out. Yeah. I don't know what they would say, but they wouldn't be happy about it. What do you mean? What do you mean the book of Revelation? (laughs) I don't even believe in the Bible. Yeah. But I would tell them, I say, look. I'm sorry, I didn't write it. It's not my book. It's his book. Yeah. And you don't have to believe it, but there's going to come a time in chapter 11 where it says very specifically, those that destroy the earth are going to be destroyed by him. Sure. So it's going to come, it's going to come nose to nose with, with God eventually. And they will not go any further. <laughs> That's yep. my point. Yeah. They won't, they will not go any further. Yep. This is the Tower of Babel moment for the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When God comes down and says, you're scattered, you know, I'm going to scatter the language. You're not going to build that tower anymore. And now, you know, we kind of have the same scenario here. Okay, guys, you're done. You're done. Yep. You're not going any further. May I also add in the book of Genesis, or at least the Tower of Babel story, that what what suckered the world at that time to get into the Tower of Babel, to build it, was technology. Yeah. They had built before that with rocks and mud, basically. You could only build a one-story structure with, with rocks. You could pick them up on the ground, stick them together with sticky mud, and you, you, know, you might get yourself a you know, four or five foot, maybe six foot if you're lucky. You couldn't build a, a multi-story building with rocks. Somebody came up. I'm sure this would be uh, Nimrod, the brilliant guy, pictured as a type of Satan in sure. the Old Testament. Yep. Um, he brought forth a new technology called tar. If you cut the brick square and use tar to stick it together, which is ultra, ultra sticky, this is kind of like the technology they use today even to build skyscrapers, you can now stick these blocks together, and man, you can 
build like crazy because even if there's an earthquake or a strong wind, the thing will, you know, it, it'll move, but it doesn't fall down sure. and we can build a tower into heaven. This is what they, this is what, how he convinced the people to get behind the whole effort of building this tower into heaven. It was technology. They'd never seen this technology before. They must've been amazed yeah. to see it. Yeah. We're dealing with kind of the same thing right now. This new technology that's here. It seems like we can do anything. We're, we're sky's the limit. That not that what people say? Yep. Sky's the limit. Yep. And in one sense, you look at it and say, yeah, sky's the limit. But technology is being used to trick mankind into thinking that there's a major solution here outside of God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's more compelling. It's easier to reach that than it is to reach God. Yeah. So you better get on board. Start building. Start building. Start getting that transhuman, you know, that that uh, NBIC technology cooking here. Let's, let's get some advancement on escaping the human conditions. Get those neural links, baby. Get them, you know, get them in shape here so we can stick them on our brains. Yep. And all the other stuff. Hmm. Did you want to say something, Carl? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> Pat, when you said the sky is the limit, uh, I, I also the, the thought just flashed in my mind just from a secular point of view that the increase in digital technology will only go so far. Um, maybe put it this way. Digital technologies increase will go to the point of our next super solar flare. Yeah, I agree. That's a great point. Excellent point. Yes. Excellent point. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Hey, listen, I you Pat, you mentioned Nimrod, and we know Nimrod to be a type of Antichrist. Yes. And I titled this whole thing Two Technologies, something along the lines that I believe the Antichrist will try to avail himself of in order to um to accomplish his end goal. Okay. And and I really do believe that he will he will deceive the masses as he did, tried to do in the very beginning, again, that age-old lie. You can be like God if you do A, B, and C. And one of those, I believe, also, we know at the midpoint, you have to worship me. And then number two, the way that you control an entire global system is through the means of what we're seeing now, This, the technology of artificial intelligence but there comes a point in time where um, we go from weak AI to strong AI. But even in 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 the bucket of or category of strong AI, that's still not enough to be able to process all of the information that we have collected on a global level. And in order to do that, it's my understanding, and maybe you guys can clarify. We need what's called quantum computing. And there's a lot of talk about quantum computing these days because it really allows the processing of information in almost instantaneously. What are your thoughts of how close we are to quantum computing? And is that a game changer on a global level? Go ahead, uh, Carl, if you want to take this one first, Pat, and then I'd love to get your take on that. I don't. I don't know where the level of quantum computing is right now. I haven't kept up with with that development. Though I do know uh, quantum computing is a game changer. Uh, 
Okay. Uh, it, 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 when it comes into play, it will be an incredible technology. There's no question. And maybe it already is in play to some extent. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not uh, versed on, on where, 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 that, uh, where that is going. To the point, though, and, and this actually fits your question, I was at a workshop at uh, the 2018 Burning Man where we had one of the leading figures in the crypto space give a, a talk for well, it was a couple hour long conversation. And most of the people that were that were in the tent were developers, CEOs of major tech companies, uh, your movers and shakers in Silicon Valley, because that's really what, what that event is. It's a Silicon Valley event. Um, and he described uh, a, a new coming civilization broken down into what he kind of configured as four building blocks. Uh, and I'll just give you the Coles notes because sure. it was like, like I said, an afternoon, afternoon conversation. So the first building block is a new spiritual paradigm. It is psychedelic. It is mystic. It is the divine feminine. It is the goddess. It is out with the Judeo-Christian worldview. It is out with the, the biblical doctrine. He didn't describe it this way, but I'm just describing it now. The biblical doctrine of God as being separate. Everything, in other words, has to be one. Yeah, that's building block number one. Building block number two is a new social contract, a new social structure, and that's being played out in real time, like a great big sandbox at Burning Man. It is the place to play with new social infrastructures, new relationships, new new ways of interacting. That's absolutely there. And if you understand the history of that event and how that is configured that way as a social experiment, it is a remarkable study. The third is a new governance economic structure. And that is where digital currencies, uh, and this goes way beyond just simply uh, cryptos. This, this goes into the realm of central bank digital currencies. Uh, you need some form of, of new governance economic uh, um, systems that can monitor block one and block two through your through your behaviors because your behaviors are always expended through through what you're buying what you're selling how you're engaging in the marketplace in other words back to technocracy your energy yeah your energy leaves that footprint what you believe because what you believe is going to reflect on how you engage in the workplace what you what you've purchased etc cetera, etc cetera. so that's building block number 3 the fourth building block he says how do we manage all of this how do we how do we allow this to, to, to actually operate at a global level? Well, there is only one answer, and that's artificial intelligence. Sure. And so he broke it down like that. And I walked away from there with my jaw on the ground because I was going, smokes, you just, you know, it, it was way more, uh, there was way more explanation. To yeah. it, but he, you just laid out a, a, a roadmap. Yeah. And I'm seeing the roadmap kind of coming to fruition in many respects. Yeah. So um, before uh, Pat, uh, also, if both of you guys can, or one of you, you just mentioned energy, Carl, and Pat, you met, you mentioned that early on. Um, I don't want to end the podcast without either one of you guys talking about Anthony Sutton, because I think that's really important in regards to what we're talking about. And I know you're smiling, Carl, but uh, either uh, one of you. smiling because it's Pat. That's Pat's world. Okay, so so Pat. <laughs> personally, personally. <laughs> Pat world, yeah. <laughs> so in that case, well, we'll just throw the ball over to Pat. So Pat, take us away. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, yeah, Anthony Sutton was um, a research fellow at Hoover Institution. Before that, he was a, a professor of economics at UCLA. And uh, he 
was the singular author who wrote more about the transfer of technology from the West to the East than any other person alive. Uh, his original books that he wrote at Stanford while he's there are just legendary. They're worth thousands of dollars now. If you try and acquire them, they're really difficult even to get. Uh, but he was the expert on that. And I was told later by somebody who was in the government circles of intelligence back then that his books were some of the some of the principal books that were found in the State Department and in the intelligence community to analyze what's going on between, you know, the Cold War between uh, the East and the West. And he was a master at it. He started researching the Trilateral Commission back in the early 1970s. And that was his mistake. Um, I was tracking the same way for a different purpose. From a financial point of view, he was from an economic point of view. But he didn't realize once he got onto this that he was um, poking the wrong person in the eye. And the president of Stanford University, which is over the Hoover Institution, they um, uh, he was a member of the Trilateral Commission. And so when they discovered that Sutton was after this, they used to call Sutton his colleagues at Stanford. <laughs> You'll get a kick out of this. This is at the Hoover Institution. He was such a prodigious researcher. Uh, he 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 made he made Carl and me look like pikers, I, tr <laughs> truly, we, like like imbeciles. When this when when he got onto something, he was like the bloodhound from you know where. Yeah, <laughs> he's gonna get his story. Well, I guess the RCMP is is that you know we're gonna get our man right. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're gonna get a man. <laughs> a man, yeah. <laughs> a man, uh, any man will do anymore, right? You know, we'll get the, we'll get a man. Okay, there's a man. Grab him. Um, so. <laughs> so what um, no 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 it's all good i love it i, love I know it. i know so anyway what what he found out in any case he got booted from there and uh, they called him the hoover vacuum cleaner affectionately. <laughs> that's such a great name i know that was oh, his man. nickname the hoover vacuum cleaner <laughs> <laughs> so he, you got a difficult research project or something go give it to send Sutton. it to him <laughs> <laughs> he'll go out and he'll suck up everything in the oh, universe man. to find his answer well, anyway, he 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 got booted. They kicked him out. They ruined his career. Uh, he lost his right to publish. He lost his right to the university library system. All of his scholarly, scholarly career was just gone, wow. just summarily. And I happened to meet him <clears throat> at a conference in New Orleans, a gold conference, one of the early, early gold conferences. And we met by, by chance, by divine chance, but by chance, um, in a restaurant in the hotel the morning of the conference. And we started talking he was british and that kind of was interesting to me his <laughs> accent um i didn't want to meet i don't meet with people in the morning you know <laughs> six o'clock in the morning yeah, for that's, breakfast that's early and i gotta meet with a stranger that's the only way i'm gonna get a seat at a table and now i gotta talk to the guy too oh, with a geez, british accent terrible. i know but it was yeah but anyway we started talking and before as we got up to leave we shook hands we said this story is so big you're, you're looking at the Trilateral Commission. I'm looking at the Trilateral Commission. We said, the story is so big, we have to tell the story to the world. I happened to be in the printing business at the time, and I printed newsletters for, for customers. I said, I can do this. Well, I can create the newsletter. We can, we can set up a direct mail operation where we get our newsletter spread out and charge a fee for it. And he said, yes, we need to do this. So that's how we got together. It was... Um, you know, really kind of interesting, but yeah. we we had a partnership for several years then, writing about the Trilateral Commission, and of course he knew how to get the he knew how to find the bones. Yep, <laughs> I couldn't. I would. I was lost. I, in fact, I you know I 
four years of college, you would think that I would learn how to use the card catalog. <laughs> oh, man, those were complex. You needed a doctorate. <laughs> To use I hated them. I, I broke out in a cold sweat if I got near the card catalog. If a, if a professor had said, go find books on this, oh, no, i got to oh, go man. deal with that card catalog again. Those little drawers, right, with yes. the index cards on little them? Little bitty drawers oh, with yeah. 18,000 cards That's inside. Right. you got to go down. And, oh, my gosh, Carl's <laughs> laughing because he's second nature to him. But it, um, but I couldn't handle it. So he taught me, he got the information. He taught me so much stuff. That was like my master's degree that, that well, actually it was undergrad master's and everything else that I should have gotten in college that I paid good money for. <laughs> well, at least my parents did, but they taught me nonsense and none of it stuck and none of it was really worth anything anyway. So Sutton taught me a lot. And, you know, that's how I got my kickstart. You know, he, uh, I wouldn't say he passed the mantle. He died in 2002, but you know, yeah. I learned some of the basic principles of of thinking about things, you know, how to build a kind of that hermeneutic structure yeah. around things, right, to to make sense of them. And you have to do that when you're dealing with it. I know Carl will shake his head on us. This is a big theological word, hermeneutical. Yeah, oh my it's gosh, huge. It's scary. Yeah, yeah, but it's huge. This is this is the framework in which knowledge is built. Yep. You can't build up a knowledge structure without having the rules of engagement, the rules of collection, the rules of interpretation, the rules of context and everything else yep. all worked out before you get your first book in your hand. You have to have that approach. Yeah, I agree. He had it. He had it. Carl has it. I'm glad for that because well, Carl have helped it. me discover technocracy. You, you know what? Place. You have it too. Um, Really quick though, one thing that he wrote a book and I have it right here. You you sent something Ooh. to me. It's called Energy, the Created Crisis. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. again, this goes back to the very, very beginning where you mentioned the control mm -hmm. of energy. Yes. Yeah. Talk into that really quick because I think yes. he hit the nail on the head and he didn't write this book <laughs> right before he passed away. No, he no, wrote he this didn't. book. It was almost prophetic, really, the yeah. way that he wrote this. Touch on that a bit, if you don't mind. Well, I wish I wish we'd understood technocracy back then, because he would have gravitated to that immediately. But he discovered this war on energy, and he wrote about it. He was very. It was very clear to him that 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 the the powers, the globalist powers, were trying to control, take over, and control energy. He just didn't quite know why. We know now because technocracy controls energy. It has to control the energy in order to control the economic system. Correct. That's what he wrote his book about. And it, it's interesting. He, he One of the people he quoted in the book was the husband of a lady now that's a big time natural capitalism, green economy, sustainable development uh, lady by the name of, uh, what's her, her name is um, uh, Hunter Lovins, I oh, think. Lovins. Hunter Lovins. She's a big, big time traveler around the world about sustainable development and her husband who is also a phd doctor of some sort i can't remember his name but but sudden quotes him cites him in yep. his book yep. yeah <laughs> i he thought does. Tony, this is a this when i read it again uh several months ago i thought this is just a message from the grave <laughs> yeah no because totally i look is. at hunter lovins and that whole crowd today and i look at them with a totally different light of course but but he nailed it back then he understood yes there is a concerted war on energy the goal is to control energy he just didn't know why yeah and it's the measured and it's the measured control yes. of energy yes that that is we all use energy and so whenever we use it either in, in the production end of it which is for the most part that's not what we do we are in the consumption end of it right. 
if we can measure it, then yeah. you can control it. Yeah. Uh, and you can control it also in other ways. In my country, we have the carbon tax. So sure. every time yeah. I fuel up, I pay a carbon tax. I have no say in the matter. And I know the religious, spiritual nature of the green movement. I know it very, very well to the point where when I fill up and, and I know I'm paying that carbon tax, I know what I'm really doing. I am now paying a tithe and offering. Yeah. Yes. To yes. the green religion. Yes. Yep. And it's nothing I can control. Yeah, yes. absolutely. You yes. know, I have the page. me off. I have the page here. I believe this is what you were referencing. It's page 150 from Energy, the Created Crisis. Mm -hmm. And it says, when we examine the views of establishment, think tanks, and publications, those that give the clue to the policy road ahead, our conclusions are darkened even more. In October of 1976, issue of Foreign Affairs, a quarterly establishment oracle which reflects elitist thinking and intended action, we find an article by, here you go, Armory Lovins. Mm -hmm. Armory, that's yeah. right. Lovins is not a household word and has hardly made a scratch on the world of, uh, on the world of knowledge and ideas. However, merely because Foreign Affairs is his forum, Lovins' ideas became acceptable are widely reported and taken seriously by high officials. Lovins is an instant engineer. His aim mm -hmm. to substitute, quote, soft technology for the hard technology that is windmills and solar panels for electric power stations and synthetic gas plants, yeah. all without a hint of economic or technical analysis. In fact, Lovins writes... As if analysis does not exist, one commentator summed it up very well. Much of Mr. Lovins's theory is reminiscent of certain ideas utilized by the People's Republic of China during the years of the Great Leap Forward. If you ask me, it'd be uh, it's, this is a brief excerpt from Lovins. If you ask me, it'd be little short of disastrous for us to discover a source of clean, cheap, abundant energy because of what we would do with it. Um, mm -hmm. this is crazy because he wrote this, I believe in the seventies, if I'm yes. not mistaken. Yes. And he hit the nail on the head. He hit mm -hmm. the nail on the head. And mm -hmm. I mean, we can't get into this too, but I've been reading now about nuclear fusion. Um, yeah. Nuclear fusion mm -hmm. where at one point this was thought mm -hmm. of as science fiction, the use yeah. of nuclear fusion. Yeah. We're now talking about it as a reality. The yeah. creation of plasma and you know um, the fusion of the molecules and yeah. so on and so forth, yeah. and so we're at a point now where this is literally, like I said, prophetic. You said speaking from the grave. Yeah. So, <laughs> so really to tie this all together, because I know I've taken so much of your time, gentlemen, and I can't tell you just how much I appreciate this. Where do you and Carl? We'll start with you. Pat, we'll end with you. Where do you see this going in the near future and if the Lord tarries in the distant future? Go ahead, Carl. I see this moving in the direction that it is about total transformation, okay? Mm -hmm. So the direction, the trajectory that we are on is about a total transformation. How far it succeeds is open to debate. And we know biblically how far it does succeed and we know that at some point christ himself intervenes 
and sets it all right. His total transformation, not our total Amen. transformation. Yep. But this is the pressure towards a new civilization and with it, a new man. It always has been. When the Soviet Union was instituted, it was all about creating the new man yep. for a new Soviet state. Adolf Hitler was looking to create the new Germanic man for a new Germanic state. There's always this hand-in-glove relationship between a new civilization and a new man always it's there because the one feeds off the other when the united nations environment program uh was was first pulled together by two men incidentally from my home province one who had happened to spend a day with the other who i ended up knowing quite well has spent much many many days with uh it was as it was explained to me unep's symbol their logo shows a man in the middle surrounded by by the by a globe where he's standing in a globe and the symbol meant and this was explained to me by by wayne the guy who was the first director of communications for unep the messaging was this in order to change the world we need to change man first yep that's where i see it going so how then do we respond we respond by giving the the gospel of the true change in man that is to come Amen. not the not the false messianic alternative that we're constructing by saying no to god so i i view all this ultimately as really a conflict between two salvation claims Amen. one is christ and one is man that's right that's right so patrick over mm -hmm. to you you know back in 2015 uh in uh, on technocracy.news, I declared war against technocracy. It wasn't <clears throat> that um, that I independently or unilaterally declared war on them, but I recognized that they had declared war on humanity. And so I said, well, then we will declare war as well. We're in a state of war. I believe that to this day. I believe that uh, 2020 was literally the coup d'etat that was played on the world stage to conquer the world for technocracy slash transhumanism. And it continues to this day. If we're in a war and if we treat it as a war, I actually, I think, you know, for me mentally, it makes a lot more sense to kind of analyze and treat it that way. Mm -hmm. We've had increasing attacks on humanity over the last say five years. They've gotten nastier and nastier. We can expect in the future, if we're in a war, that more things are gonna happen that will surprise and shock us that will, include some more, more destruction of the environment, more destruction of, of man himself, perhaps more people dying, who knows what. But the wars, got, wars that way, wars start out uh, small, often they start out with a little invasion, with a little you know trouble, with a few troops, with a few guns and whatever, and then they escalate from there. Yep. Wars always seem to escalate. We've had a soft war up until Ukraine. When Ukraine came into the picture with Russia, I'm not going to go into big political science discussion here, but mostly I believe that Russia was egged into invading Ukraine in the first place. But nevertheless, the fact that there is a war now, a hot war in Ukraine that threatens to spill over is just more evidence that we're in a war that's being orchestrated against mankind. It's just one part of it. But I would expect in the future that the soft war is increasingly going to be expressed as a hard war, that is a... A, a, you know, a physical war where yeah. people are getting killed, where, where missiles and guns and tanks and stuff like that 
and this is this is the big fear in Europe right now. I know people in Germany are just absolutely freaked out that the war is going to spill over and Germany is going to be involved in World War III and almost immediately. Um, so, you know, I would expect in the future we're going to see more of this war opening up. How we respond to it is, is uh, certainly in the line of what Carl says. We, on one hand, we need to steel our minds for this war, for the for the out, you know, the potential hazards that might occur. But on the other hand, we need to be prepared to answer this generation. Yes. This yes. living this with meaningful, not just spiritual rhetoric. We, we, we need to be able to answer them with meaningful uh, responses that will that will connect with them and pull them out of this mess, of this trap that the, that the devil has set for them. It is not impossible. It is entirely possible. And one of my pet peeves, Carl and I have talked about this ad forever, I think. What does a biblical worldview mean? What, is a, what does that mean? Everybody wants it, right? All Christians, well, I have a biblical worldview. They want to have a, and they say they do, but do they? Yeah. Well, you can know the Bible backwards and forwards. You can memorize scripture all to your, you know, cows come home and know all kinds of verses and stuff and pull out all the key doctrines of scripture without even looking at the Bible. You know the Bible, but do you know what's going on in the world? You see, how can you have a biblical worldview if you if you don't have a clue what's going on in the world, truly? And most Christians don't. Yeah. Even to this yeah. day, they don't. They're clueless. They're, yeah. And I have to say, it's not just their fault. For the most part, most pastors, your pastor is excluded from this. Don't so you know that. I <laughs> listen to him myself. I I love the guy. But most pastors in America will not talk about these issues yeah. at all. Yeah. The people sitting in the pews are clueless about what's going on. Yeah. So they can't really say they have a biblical worldview when the view of the world is completely in fantasy land. Yeah. Just yeah. doesn't work. So yeah. that one of the things I'd say that this, this program is so important, if for no other reason, is to help Christians understand that there's more to their worldview than just saying you have a Christian worldview. That's a right. Biblical worldview. Yeah. You need to know what's going on and consider the implications of what's going on and consider what's going through people's minds as, as you're trying to reach them. Yeah. And pull them out. I'm, you know, I we used to talk about, you know, revival and you know, it's going to be like the Jesus days again, and you know, Chuck Smith and the beach and you know, all that kind of stuff. Well. Times have changed at this point. Now we're looking more to a situation in the book of Jude. Correct. Where it says, snatch some out of the fire and That's be right. careful lest your clothes become cinched themselves. Yeah, yeah, I we're, agree. We're more on a search and rescue mission today as a church rather than an, you know, mass evangelism. Now, that could happen. I'm not going to put God totally. in the box here for sure. Yep. But it seems to me we're more on a search and rescue mission to pull people out of the rubble. Agreed. Agreed. And we yeah. can see what that looks and, and, and like. Go ahead. Go oh, ahead, Carl. Go ahead. Sorry. sorry. No, uh, go ahead. If, if we are going to have a mass evangelism effort, it begins in the church. That's right. Yeah, because, because the church is not the mission field. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the Lord said that judgment begins in the house of God. So if things aren't right in the church, we <laughs> yeah. can't expect things to be right around the world, right? I've, I've said it yeah, a million I... times before. We know 
that the church is sick. It's been sickly for a long time, and it seems like it's not getting any better because the the stuff that's coming out of the pulpits in America is diametrically opposed to what God's Word says. And so I'm thankful for uh, Carl's and Patrick's of the world, in this case today, you guys that are out there using your God-given talent, because I'll be honest with you, God's given you guys a beautiful mind, and the research and what you bring to the table, case in point, technocracy.news, folks, if anything, go on there, and I've linked to it, there is no reason for anybody to be in the dark. You guys are always asking for good news sources, sources you could trust. Here's one of them. Mm -hmm. And the great thing about, for example, what Patrick does is that he filters the things out and gives you bite sizes that you can manage. Like you said, Pat, the very beginning, you can't drink out of a fire hose. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? There's no way we could do that. But the way that you do it is fantastic. And I encourage people, there's really no reason for us to be in the dark of what's happening around the world. Not yeah. one reason. And again, if we look at it, you can know your Bible, but if you don't have something to compare it to, and what I mean by that is, well, case in point, I've read this a million times. I'm going to make the, the comparison right now. Jesus, when he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, his disciples approached him in Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. And uh, they were troubled. I could tell they were troubled because Jesus had just told them, oh, you see all these buildings? You see the temple? Oh, man, how beautiful that is. Well, there's not going to be one stone left upon another that's not going to be thrown down. And I guarantee you that it got their mind thinking, like I said when I uh, with, with John. And they pulled him aside and they said, um, question, you know, you know back there you mentioned all the stones are going to be going down. Uh, so can you tell us time frame, maybe when this is going to happen? Because that's pretty heavy. And so the Lord did tell him, did tell them. And he said, the first thing he said, and we touched on this in the very beginning, was Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. Deception is on a rampage. Satan is on a rampage trying to deceive the masses, whether it's through the notion of transhumanism, post-humanism, technocracy, um, artificial intelligence, and ad infinitum. We could just add to the list. But he goes on to say, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many, and you will hear of wars, rumors of wars, which ties into what you just said, Pat. Mm -hmm. So we can know the Bible all we want, but if we don't know what's happening around it, and we can't lay that on top of Scripture and see how that lines up, well, that's fruitless, right? I think that's yes, what you're is. referencing. So let me, go ahead. Go ahead. Let, me, let me just add one thing about this. I reject sensationalism. I agreed. Reject sensationalism. I Just as a categorical thing, reject sensationalism until you thoroughly investigate what you're thinking you want to believe. Sure. There is so much misinformation and disinformation floating around Christian circles, researcher circles, and whatever, you know, people that are writing blogs yep. and talking about the, you know, the pandemic and all this other stuff. There is so much sensationalistic stuff most of it is pure nonsense i'm not going to get into it don't send me letters don't get mad at me <laughs> most of it is pure speculation and pure nonsense and this is this stuff must be kept out of your mind don't let it in your mind guard your mind amen as to what you take into it this this spectacular stories 
that are too good to, you know, this too outrageous to believe that you shouldn't believe them. Just, yeah. you know, put them aside. Even if you miss one or two, that's true. Put them aside until you can assimilate them correctly into your hermeneutical structure that you should have. That's right. And then it will fit or it won't fit. If it does, fine. If it doesn't, get rid of it and yep. don't don't go any further with it. Yep. Yep. I agree. So gentlemen, listen, I we I'm I'm so thankful you guys were very patient in giving your time. I know we went way over, but I like you said, Pat, we need this. People need to be aware of of this information. They they need to start thinking um, three dimensionally and and not and not two dimensionally, right? Yeah. And so uh, we had questions. Unfortunately, we can't get to the questions because there is a slew of them. Um, and maybe we can cover that in in another Q and A. We'll just do strictly yeah. a Q and A next time we we get together, where people could just say, hey, I need clarification on this. You guys talked about this. What does that mean for us? You know, And so I think we could do that if you um, gentlemen would be willing to come back and we will strictly just do a Q&A where people could just chime in, ask questions, and we will throw them at you guys so that people could get better clarity, better focus on really what's happening around the world. So yeah. any closing remarks, Pat, you first, and then Carl. Yeah, I'll say, it, you know, it doesn't hurt anybody to read a book. That's right. It's a possible thing to do. Yeah. You know, it's like everybody wants to consume life on a bumper sticker these days. If they can't read it in four words, you know, they can't they just pass on. That's why so many people are listening to videos and, you know, TikTok videos, whatever. Yeah. You know, they want to get everything. <laughs> just, just give me the snippet. That's right. It doesn't hurt to read a book. And I want to encourage people to, to start reading, make some kind of a plan to read something. You know, my book is easy to consume. It's yeah. 100, what, 175 pages, very easy to consume, and you get a lot of knowledge out of, out yep. of it. Carl's book is not easy to read, but you can read any <laughs> section of it. No, listen, you no, can read true. any section of it. And you can come away, you can dive in, you can come away yeah. with a with a with a the, the knowledge you want from it. Even if you don't read the whole book, there's sections of it you can read, you get you get a lot of knowledge, and a lot of information on it that will help you to understand what's going on. Yeah. Just don't drop his book on your foot because it might break your toe. But it's a big book. <laughs> the, the picture, when I first got it, I said, Holy mackerel, how could he write a book like this? And here I'm writing a book that's got 200 pages, and I thought I've done something good. Paul writes a book. I was like, how many pages is it, Carl? I forget. Like, is it? There it is right there. Yeah, yeah not, I mean, quite, it's, not quite 600. It's like 570. Yeah. <laughs> hey, but that includes the index and 1,800 footnotes. That's a lot of wow. footnotes. Yeah, I know. I know. So, you know, it doesn't hurt to read. You've got to read to, to pick up the stuff, you know, from history. If, if you don't like the length of my book or Carl's book, go pick up the abolition of man and read about what, <laughs> what he said about scientism. I mean, it's a little book, a little thin book. Yeah. You can read it probably two hours, Yeah. but get some of this knowledge in your head. And, and, you know, these, the, I'm not saying that our minds are great. Forget, you know, for, mm. I, I don't want to even go there, but we have the great writers of the past who have given us great knowledge and the great experience that they've written down and, and warned us about these things. Francis Schaeffer comes to mind. Yeah. There's great knowledge in the past from great men, great minds that God has gifted with, with information that, that has an impact on us today. Don't neglect these people, yeah. you know, go back and, and pick up the, tr the, the thread of history 
learn something about history because it all comes to bear on where the world is today. I agree. Read a book, read yeah. a book. I say, read a book. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Carl, closing words. <laughs> Do you have another couple hours? The story. <laughs> I'm going to close with the story. Uh -oh. and Go I'm not going to interpret the story. I'll allow you to interpret the story. And it goes hand in glove with what, <laughs> that's interesting as the story unfolds, hand in glove with what Pat said. So many, many years ago, my daughter, she must have been 10 or 11 or 12 years old. We went for a walk. We always go for walks. And it was cold. It was probably close to minus 30. It was a cold winter day. So we went for a walk. Wow. And about half, and a, half a mile or so from, from the house, my daughter says to me, Daddy, what is the difference between information, knowledge, and wisdom? So I took my glove off. And I put my glove on the snowbank. And I said to her, we have information. We have data. We see that there's a glove. It's now giving us information. Our eyes are taking in information. We pick up that glove. We examine it. We look at its stitching, how it's made, that it's comprised of leather, that it has insulating properties. We know the glove. We, will, we now have knowledge of the glove. Wisdom is putting the glove on. Mm. Yep. I'll just leave it right there. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. There's a lot to be said yeah. for application. Perfect. And I will close with this. The best thing that anybody, any of us could do is to heed the call of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit initiates the work of salvation, is pursuing us, pursuing us for a relationship that only we can have with Jesus Christ. And, and we did. We, we, we talked about things that are pretty heavy, heavy subjects, folks. Um, uncertainty. And uncertainty for many is a scary thing. I know it can be very scary, but we know that during these uncertain times, we know for sure and for certain that Jesus Christ is in control and everything is playing out according to his perfect plan. And that's outlined here in the Word of God. And I would urge each and every one of you to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. Because if, if we know anything, if you get anything from this podcast, is that tomorrow is promised to no man. The Bible says that, to no man. And at some point in time, every single one of us is going to stand before God Almighty to give an account for our lives. And I guarantee you the one question that God is going to ask is, what did you do with the gift of my son, Jesus Christ? What did you do with that? And so I want to urge each and everybody that if you know Christ, draw closer to him. Um, look to him in all things. Uh, get into the word of God if you haven't. And get on your knees in prayer because we just, prayer is talking to the Lord, just like we had a conversation, we talked to the Lord. And so if you haven't made that decision to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life, I want to urge you to do that right now. It's easy, admit you're a sinner, believe in Jesus Christ. He died and he rose and he's alive. And call upon the name of the Lord, confess your sins, call upon him. 
It's really, really simple. Gentlemen, if we can close out in prayer, that would be wonderful. If you guys wouldn't mind, um, let me close this out in prayer. Father God, we come before you, and thank you so much for Carl. Thank you so much for Patrick. And yes, you've given them wonderful minds, the intellect to be able to do what they do and share that with us. Father God, I pray you would bless them with wisdom and the application that is the application of knowledge and the data, Father God, but only comes from you. And But most importantly, Father God, I pray that each and every one of us would have the fear, the reverence of you, Lord. That is really the beginning of knowledge and wisdom, Jesus, is to know you and to fear you. For those that don't know you, Father God, if you don't know Jesus, it's simple. Just say, Father God, I admit I'm a sinner. I confess my sins before you, holy and awesome God and just God. I come before you and ask for forgiveness. I, I believe that you are who you say you are, Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, and that you rose on the third day and you were seated on, on high. Forgive me of my sins and allow me to be a part of your family. I surrender to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you if you guys made that prayer, just be rest assured that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. What I would encourage you, and I'm sure Carl, you would, and Patrick, is to get into a good Bible-believing church. Tune in to shows like this one and like Pastor Jack Hibbs and like uh, podcasts like Tom Hughes, Pete Garcia, and uh, so many others out there. Read books that like Carl has written a gigantic, amazing book. And as you know what, we may laugh about the how big your book is, Carl, but I got to say something. This was Dr. Walter Martin's lifelong works. And yes. you guys could see that these are, they're big, yeah. but these are necessary, necessary books for such a time as this, right? And we've heard that. So gentlemen, Thank you so much, Patrick. You too, your new book, folks. Go there. Um, I, I I'll leave the link below so that you guys can get Pat's book as well. Highly, highly recommend all of your materials, gentlemen. Thank you so very much. I can't tell you how much I appreciate this. You guys are gonna come back on. I'm gonna get you back on summertime, fall time. We'll do this again, and it'll give us time to to regroup. And I guarantee you we'll have plenty to talk about. So thank you so much, gents. Uh, just hang tight until I, till I end the live stream and we're good. Folks, thank you. I pray you guys were blessed, encouraged, challenged. Remember to keep looking up and get into the Word of God and get the Word of God into you guys. Lord bless you guys until the next time. See ya.